The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space. Celebrating tenure through the community. Created by Carl Sinclair. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Hello, and welcome, uh, everybody to the launch of the Shape ID uh, Toolkit and our policy panel discussion. We are so delighted that so many of you can join us this afternoon. Over 360 people have registered from all over the world, uh, including in Ireland, where, where I am, uh, but also North and South America, Australia, across Europe, the Faroe Islands and the United uh, uh, Kingdom. We also welcome colleagues from many national funding bodies um, across Europe and from the European Commission. My name is Jane Olmeyer and I'm the PI, the Principal Investigator for Shape ID, uh, which is a project funded by the Euro European Commission under Horizon 2020 Framework Programme. And the purpose of Shape ID is to address the challenge of integrating the arts, humanities and social sciences in interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary research. The project is led by the Trinity Long Room Hub with our partners from ETH Zurich, Isanova in Rome, the University of Edinburgh, the Institute of Literary Research of the Polish Academy of Sciences and Dr. Jack Spapham. The toolkit is uh, really the culmination of two and a half years of hard work. So we're so excited uh, to be sharing it with you today um, with the growing recognition that we cannot solve the complex challenges the world faces without the active participation of the arts, humanities and social sciences. We need decisive action from funders and policymakers to really integrate the AHSS meaningfully but also from universities to create a culture that empowers researchers to develop the skills they need for this kind of research. And our toolkit uh, provides pathways for funders, policymakers, research organizations, researchers and societal partners. And we really want it to be a valuable resource for this culture change uh, that we all need uh, to help to drive. We're deeply honoured to have Mr Harold Hartung from the European Commission with us today and he is going to open our event and after that I present a summary of some of the Shape ID uh, key recommendations and then we'll dive in to the question of how to move from recommendations to practice. We've got a fantastic panel of experts uh, 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 Carthage Smith, uh, Lydia Borrell uh, Damien, uh, Ludwig Tilly, and Anna Antonova, sorry, Anna, um, uh, who are joining us. Uh, then we'll have a short break, and Catherine Lyle and the Shape ID uh, uh, team members will introduce uh, the toolkit. So a few housekeeping things. Um, we are recording the webinar. And the reason we want to do that is so we can share it widely on our website. Uh, and obviously, uh, hopefully you can come back to it or you can share it with your friends and colleagues. We would ask you to submit questions through the Q&A uh, function on Zoom. I think everybody's pretty familiar with Zoom at this point, but it's lovely um, if you have a question, if you say who you are, maybe where you're from, as I say, it's a truly global audience. 
We'll also share links and references to our chat function. And again, we invite you to introduce yourself and share any interesting or relevant resources or comments. But please don't use the chat function for questions for the panelists because uh, we may miss them. Um, and just to say, we will be sharing the information that you put in the chat because it, I'm sure it, you know, it's a very, it'll be a very valuable resource at the end of uh, our session today. Finally, we'll be tweeting throughout the event. So please use the hashtag uh, ShapeIDToolkit. Uh, uh, we'll put that in the uh, uh, chat uh, function. Um, and uh, we'd really love you to join the conversation uh, 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 online and uh, uh, help build momentum uh, for the, the toolkit. So without further ado, uh, it gives me huge pleasure to introduce Mr. Harold Hartung, who is the head of unit for Fair Societies and Cultural Heritage within the Directorate General for Research and Innovation at the European Commission. And he's going to uh, welcome uh, everybody and open this event. But I just have to say uh, at a very personal uh, level, I first had the opportunity to meet Harold at one of the Research and Innovation Days. It seems like such an age ago. Um, uh, it was sort of two big events, of, I suppose it was September 2018 and Shape ID had just begun um, and um, it really is heartening Harold to see where we've come uh, in this two and a bit years and um, I was very inspired on that occasion by your commitment and support for real meaningful collaboration and integration so no better person now to kick off the proceedings this afternoon so Harold over to you. Thank you very much, Jane, and thanks very much for this very warm welcome. And I feel very honoured to be with you today at the launch of the important toolkit, because what you do with your project is exactly what we try to implement in the Horizon Europe research programme, namely to have a meaningful integration of arts, humanities and social sciences. Now we do this, we can already start, I think, with the first slide. Thanks very much. Now we don't do this to please a sector um, in research, but we want to get to concrete outcomes. We want to have an impact on society and we want to change the lives of our citizens with the research results we obtain from uh, interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary research. Uh, we can move to the next slide. Now, in order to do so, uh, we need to observe a few principles, uh, in particular in the new program. Uh, first of all, uh, we need to move from a more technical approach to a human-centered approach, because uh, we need to bear in mind for whom we do this and how will people react to what we produce. And we must meet the societal challenges of our days. And in order to do so, we need to create a societal impact. And this is one of the main goals of the Horizon Europe program. And I will now, uh, 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 with the next slides, set out what we have planned so far in the new program, as far as the integration of social sciences and humanities and arts is concerned because this will then uh, 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 quite usefully match with the tool uh, kit uh, uh, Jane will present later on. 
Now, uh, for the ones who have already been dealing with uh, the integration of social sciences in the European research programs, you will see that we have not changed our principal approach. Namely, we will have one cluster. In this case, it's the cluster on culture, creativity, inclusive societies, which deals with arts, humanities, and social sciences as such. But in addition to that, um, uh, we integrate uh, uh, SSH throughout the entire program. And you see here in the second part of the slide, what is the goal uh, uh, to be done uh, 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 with social sciences in our program? Um, let's move to the next slide, please. Um, here you see here you see the structure of the program. When the ones who have followed our the development of Horizon Europe will know this slide by heart. Um, on the first pillar on the left-hand side, excellent science, we have bottom-up science and research. That is to say, researchers propose to us themes, and we then select the ones which appear would seem to be the best ones to be funded. Um, pillar two is the other way around, namely a top-down research. We've got global challenges and we want to find solutions to that. And for that, we need to guide uh, research. And here you've got the, the, in the bullet points, the different clusters which deal with the different challenges. And the second one, the second bullet point is the one uh, uh, dealing mainly with social sciences and humanities. And in the third cluster, on the right-hand side, we deal with innovation. Um, but all of them cover uh, 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 an important part of social Is ready to say that the... Uh... Oh, here. Sorry. Uh, so, so, sorry, there. Oh, okay. Um, next slide, please. Yeah. Now, we, when we've started with all this work, well, we have not started from scratch. Uh, because already in Horizon 2020, we had a systemic integration of social science and humanities in our research, uh, in our research projects. It's the first time that this has been done in a research program in a systemic way. Um, we have had uh, quite a lot of success. Let's bear in mind that 25, approximately 25% of the budget of the pil Pillar 2 and Pillar 1 went directly into social sciences uh, uh, research, and about 40% of the research topics were flagged for SSH research. And we had a, in, in, introduced a yearly monitoring of the integration. But with what we've done, we have uh, reached a certain level of success, but we have also seen that with the methodology we have applied, we were not able to go much further. And therefore, next slide, please. In uh, our work program of 2018, we launched a research topic uh, uh, with the title Taking Lessons from the Practices of Interdisciplinarity in Europe. And um, uh, 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 Shape ID uh, was the winning proposal. And uh, 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 they have taken from there to provide us with insights into practices, what works, what does not work, what can we do to motivate and to make it better to integrate SSH and to develop a toolkit in order to help all the ones who are uh, involved to 
uh, 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 set to implement this in a meaningful way. And this is what Jane later on will present. Next, please. Now, what is new? Uh, we have now started with a more holistic approach, namely from the very drafting of our research topics to the final report of our projects. We are more explicit because we want to have societal impact and we want to measure and define it. And this will be also more forceful because the SSH elements will be evaluated uh, uh, for awarding the projects. Next slide. What helps us in this is that we have developed a pathway um, uh, uh, to key impacts. And you will see that in addition to the scientific impact, we have added societal impact and economic impact. What we want to do is to translate scientific outputs into societal impact. And this, of course, can only be done with the integration of SSH. Next slide, please. Um, I've mentioned a holistic approach. So we've got a whole cycle starting with the co-creation and drafting um, over the flagging uh, to the evaluation of the proposals to the selection of experts to the reporting. And I will just say a few words about these different stages. Next, please. Um, the co-creation, the drafting. And uh, it is extremely important that from the very beginning onwards, um, the wording in the drafting is right to, to put the right questions. This is one of the most challenging uh, uh, parts of a topic, but also of a project. And we've got in, in our unit um, correspondence for each of the clusters in the, in the program to give advice on how to feed in SSH and how to put the questions right. These colleagues, they give, they give advice, they do the monitoring and debrief also the experts. And we give guidance to the scribes on how to integrate uh, 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 SSH in uh, the topic. And we do this now also that uh, where it is relevant, we add a specific sentence mentioning specifically, explicitly the SSH to uh, help uh, people to find the appropriate topics. Next, please. SSH flagging. Let's say there is something good and something less good in it. Uh, uh, you might have seen that with research projects, we've got uh, a number of um, uh, 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 areas we should mainstream. In the Horizon 2020 program, we've got some 14 of them. And this can lead to uh, a difficult situation where sometimes project proposers lose the focus of their project because they have to observe all 14 horizontal things so that they can no longer focus on what they needed to do. Therefore, we have chosen a different way. Not all topics must have SSH in it. There might be good reasons why this is not in, but there are very many topics where there are good reasons why to have it in. And if we think that it should be in, then it should also be integrated in the projects. And to give advice on this, we flag the ones which are relevant for SSH. So that then when the consortia are being formed, uh, these sciences can also be integrated. Next, please. Uh, this now goes to the evaluation. 
And there, um, uh, where applicants uh, want to, yeah, where it is necessary to have it in, it should also be integrated. And in the evaluation, we will have a look how this is integrated. And the better it is integrated, the better will be the scoring. Next. Um, this is for the proposals. We have now finalized the forms for the proposals for submission. And in part A, you will have boxes where the science disciplines are mentioned, where the CVs of the experts are mentioned, uh, where you can see if there is SSH in it. In part B of the proposal form, uh, the proposals then need to explain how they integrate SSH and what effects they would like to obtain by this. Next slide. Um, in the evaluation, and this is new for the first time, we now really um, uh, uh, make sure that the integration of SSH will make a difference in the evaluation. Out of the three evaluation criteria, um, uh, two of them uh, 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 specifically mention SSH. Next slide, please. Here we've got the excellence criterion and there are elements to be observed and you will see the last bullet point there for topics indicating the need for the integration of social sciences and humanities. Uh, how are they, are they properly addressed and how are they addressed? So this uh, will be one element of the evaluation. Next slide. Uh, the quality of the implementation, there the SSH flag topics. Um, uh, there, we want to make sure that there is sufficient expertise in the field included. And this will also be reflected then in the points of the evaluation. Next, please. Evaluators. And this is one part uh, where we are still working on. And we therefore also look very much forward to seeing then uh, the, the, the tool from Jane. Uh, uh, we select the profiles. Uh, we must make sure that uh, SSH expertise is also included in the evaluators because this has been one of the weak points of the current program that we had too little uh, uh, ex expertise in the evaluation field uh, by uh, evaluators from SSH. And in the legal text, we therefore have put a specific wording in, there should be a sufficient number of independent external experts from the field of SSH in expert committees and evaluation panels. And we properly brief also these people. Now, next slide. And in this shape ID will help us very much uh, because we follow very closely what is being done within the project. We have a regular exchange. And what is important for us is to take lessons from the practice of interdisciplinary T in European research projects. Uh, we want to have the analysis of what works and what not, and concrete proposals on how to best integrate uh, uh, arts, humanities, and social sciences. And the end of the project is not an end of the process, but this is the beginning of a regular exchange and application of what our colleagues in Shape ID have produced. Next, please. And how to take this further? Well, we can integrate this in the European programs, but this alone will not do. 
we need to do more things, namely to engage in the transdisciplinary cooperation on a daily basis. We make, uh, uh, yeah, this should be the rule at your university and develop techniques for formulating the critical questions and motivate other disciplines to engage in this discussion. I know it's sometimes cumbersome, but uh, if you do this well, the rest will follow. And you need to learn to understand the language of other disciplines so that you can communicate with each other. Um, uh, 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 develop an interdisciplinary approach, cooperation and management models for the curriculum, researchers and foster the development of high quality interdisciplinary peer reviewed journals, because for the time being, this is very silo in a kind of silo monodisciplinary and uh, uh, the better you publish, uh, the better it is for your career. So we need to have the opportunity for interdisciplinarity. And last but not least, make best use of the shape ID toolkit. Uh, this brings me to the end of my uh, uh, presentation. Uh, I just uh, uh, insert a commercial uh, in the interest of the European Commission on the 23rd and 24th of June. We will have our European Research and Innovation Days where we will discuss questions I've just addressed now. And I invite all of you to be present there so that we can take the discussion further. I thank you very much for your attention and I hand back to Jay. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Harold. That actually is so heartening. I can't tell you. My heart is singing listening to what you're <laughs> saying there about integration. And, and obviously, um, we've been collaborating but actually we've been working also independently so you're Absolutely. coming at it very much from top down we're coming at it from bottom up and i think the thing that really gives me hope that the mean that there will be meaningful integration is the evaluation being truly integrated and and the key will be when the panels refuse to fund projects because ahss integration is not meaningful so we'll see then we'll know we've been successful that's what real success will will look like um uh, just can i also say uh, obviously the research and innovation day that's coming up um it would be lovely if you could give the toolkit a, a plug at that but i'm also very conscious and i'm going to talk about the shape id project in a moment harold is that our project comes to an end in october we'll have produced hopefully an incredibly useful uh, toolkit but it then becomes an orphan website. Um, and I think this is another thing as we do this is to think about the sustainability. I don't know if you have a comment or a reflection about these various tools that are generated mm -hmm. and how we then sustain them as we go. So, so we're always building on, on the shoulders of those who've okay. come before us. Okay, short comment on that. Well, when, I, when I've shown the slide on Shape ID, uh, I have also mentioned uh, the last bullet point there is that uh, this is not an this is not an end the end of the project but this is the beginning of a useful exchange that would take it further because yeah. my idea would be that we bring you together with our evaluators with our people dealing with evaluations to have an exchange we are setting up these things right now and we need to reach out not only to the european level but to the different universities to also apply this at the regional and local level and i think for this we need to to, to regularly use your tools to further fine-tune them. And this is what we would like to do. I don't know exactly in what form we can do this. Uh, and we need to think a little bit 
both both of us together on how to do this best but it would be a pity if we simply say wonderful here we've got the toolkit and nabadai no we must use it and we must make it a meaningful tool uh, in the interest uh, of everybody concerned thank you very much harold and again thank you for your great start to this event and hopefully you and your colleagues from the commission can stay with us throughout the course of the afternoon and we may hear from you or, or one of them again later in the general discussion but for now uh, many many thanks indeed and i am going to say a few words of general introduction uh, about the Shape ID project. And then um, we will have a, a coffee break or a comfort break, a tea break. And uh, my uh, wonderful collaborator and colleague, Catherine Lyle and her team will, will actually present the toolkit. But we've got a few slides just to introduce the, the wider Shape ID project uh, uh, to you. So that's our schedule for, for this afternoon. So we're gonna have um, a just a very brief uh, introduction to shape ID and some of our key recommendations and then our policy panel discussion a comfort break and then the toolkit which is of course uh, if you want the highlight of uh, uh, the project uh, next slide uh, uh, please and I'm actually going to go through these quite quickly because I don't want to repeat what Harold um, has said and I think what is so encouraging is so much of what we are saying reinforces what he has already said but I do want to say a few words about the wider uh, Shape ID project which in a way was uh, came out of an IRC well not in a way it definitely came out of an IRC an Irish Research Council uh, uh, a small award that allowed us in Trinity then to form this uh, fabulous consortium um, and and uh, Catherine Nile, who we'll hear from later, we actually got to know her through the IRC award. I'll come back to that in a moment. So basically, uh, the activities and objectives of the project were, well, the first thing we wanted to do was a big literature review and survey, because there's an awful lot out there that we wanted to bring together, but both more theoretical and then the grey policy uh, literature. We had six learning case workshops. Now, three meant we did them face to face and three meant that we did them virtually. But even that has provided, I think, some interesting uh, uh, lessons for us about what the pros and cons of the virtual versus uh, uh, the real world. Um, we wanted a validated knowledge framework and that validated knowledge framework then fed very directly uh, in uh, uh, to the toolkit that we're, we're launching today. Next slide, please. Um, I don't want to dwell on the challenges, but obviously a challenge also is an opportunity, uh, but a lot of thinking went into the very real challenges and we looked at them from three perspectives reflected here in the three uh, pillars. The first, the challenges from the research policy and funding uh, perspective. And, you know, as I come into our policy recommendations, uh, we'll be making a number of very, very uh, uh, concrete recommendations to policymakers and funders. But I think one of the most important things is this long-term uh, uh, commitment to inter and transdisciplinarity and AHSS uh, integration. 
and also the importance of capacity building, uh, which is something that uh, uh, in a world that can be very feast and famine like, I mean, that doesn't always bode uh, uh, well. Uh, and things like code design, and again, very heartened to hear what Harold was saying, it's very important the HSS community are involved from, from the very, very uh, uh, beginning. Um, and a diversity actually of funding mechanisms, the small uh, uh, pots of money then of course can help leverage uh, uh, the larger, larger uh, pots. Then if we look to institutions and disciplines, the first thing, and I know Gabby Lombardo is in the audience, so uh, she says this when she speaks, in order to have good inter and transdisciplinarity, you need to have strong disciplines. Um, and obviously uh, it's very important that we continue to support disciplines. Uh, again, the universities uh, need to take a very long-term uh, uh, commitment uh, uh, to this. And again, it's very heartening. We'll hear from Ludwig and Coimbra, but we've had many discussions uh, with many universities and they've fed very much into this. Uh, 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 toolkit and, and the wider Shape ID uh, project. The third uh, set of stakeholders um, are, of course, our uh, researchers themselves. And we've been very, very struck um, by, uh, especially through the work Jack Spappen did with the interviews um, and the surveys, is um, just the importance of the mindset and having the right culture um, and trust and time were absolutely key. And the truth is we don't speak the same language. Uh, and so you have to allow additional time for colleagues to become comfortable, but also an acceptance that it's high risk. And obviously that means it's also a, a high gain. Next slide, please. Um, in terms of the uh, uh, value of integration, Harold's already alluded to it, but basically none of the great challenges that we face uh, can be solved without a truly um, uh, uh, interdisciplinary approach. That's just the reality of it. And I think we're all tired of the tokenism that we have seen when it comes to AHSS integration. Uh, they're actually at the core of it. And I would particularly call out here for the uh, creative arts. People do things for emotional reasons, not scientific ones. And, and, and you know, the creative arts are often um, the early warning systems in, in a society, in a community. They're the canaries in the mine. And uh, our colleagues from the creative arts need to be uh, very much involved along with the humanists and the social scientists uh, from uh, uh, day one. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, we believe that this community, the AHSS community, can be, bring extremely important, valuable insights and skills to any of these problems, uh, whether it's around uh, uh, COVID research, artificial intelligence, aging, security. Uh, in other words, there's none of the missions that cannot have and should not have a very, very strong AHSS uh, component. And we've just listed uh, some of the key attributes that we bring uh, uh, AHSS scholars uh, bring to any uh, uh, collaboration. Uh, next slide, please. I'm simply going to wrap up now um, uh, with our five recommendations. Obviously, we make many, but we wanted to distill what we believed to be the most important ones. Um, and uh, again, I don't uh, want to read them, but I think 
promoting social cultural uh, missions and challenges. I mean, it's absolutely essential that the funders and policymakers make this commitment. And we've heard that from the European Commission. We are also seeing this uh, among many of the national funders. Obviously, I'm chair of the Irish Research Council, but for a very long time, the IRC has been doing this. And we're seeing uh, this happening across uh, uh, Europe. And that's extremely uh, important. And the essential of putting the human um, at the centre of um, uh, uh, this challenge-based research. Next slide, please. The co-design, Harold's already alluded to it, I'm not going to dwell on it here, but AHSS researchers really need to be involved uh, from the very, very beginning in terms of designing the calls and the programmes. Language and nomenclature can create real barriers, so it's extremely important that we spend special attention to and have language that's open and uh, uh, inclusive. And the AHSS colleagues feel very much uh, 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 there as equals. There's true respect and reciprocity. Uh, next uh, slide, please. Um, the seed uh, uh, funding to enable relationships and capacity building. Um, and again, this is where the smaller um, uh, grants are very important, but also uh, creating additional funding that allows for time um, uh, to, to master other areas and disciplines and for trust to build for networks. Um, uh, things like getting to know colleagues in the health sciences, the physical sciences, the natural sciences. Uh, uh, I, I've done a lot of this in my own university um, and it's not easy. So it, we really have to think about how best to nurture that, facilitate that, support that. Next slide, please. Our fourth recommendation. And this is supporting a culture of inter and transdisciplinarity in higher education. And I completely agree with the point that Harold has just made. It is for the universities to really embrace this. And we see this happening, especially through some of the European university alliances. In Shape ID, we've been working particularly closely with Epicure and Charm. Uh, and clearly this is uh, something that is beginning, but let's not underestimate the power of the disciplinary silo that do exist and actually the many barriers that are in place um, uh, and, 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 and that will require um, a, a long-term uh, commitment to inter and transdisciplinarity. The final recommendation uh, coming from us is the importance of having sustainable research uh, careers, networks and infrastructures. In other words, we have to really approach this with a very long-term perspective. And we have to change basically how we promote, evaluate research interdisciplinarity. So our early career researchers are in no way disadvantaged by doing something that is making such an important com uh, 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 contribution, but from their perspective is um, sometimes uh, deemed to be very high risk. And I think we're gonna hear a little bit from Anna uh, uh, about this, who is speaking from that perspective of an early career researcher. The other thing is the continuity of funding. Um, it's very important we don't have stop start, that when we build something like the toolkit, it can be sustained, that uh, others can come develop it and, and build uh, on it. So I suppose those were our five key recommendations. All of this is on our website. Next slide, please. Um, uh, I'm not going to say anything further. All I wanted to do was give you that sort of high level introduction to the project and some of our key findings. And we'll you'll get to meet the full Shape ID team after our coffee break in the general uh, discussion. Um, but what I'd like to do now is to move on to our panel discussion. 
and um, I'd like to introduce our uh, four fabulous uh, speakers uh, this afternoon and I'm simply going to introduce them in the order that we've asked them to speak and in an effort to stick to time we're running slightly over um, we are going to say to our panelists you've got your the magic nine minutes um, uh, but we'll have time then to come back for Q&A uh, uh, of course and that's where I encourage you to put your questions and answers uh, uh, for our panelists. Um, our first speaker is Dr. Carthage Smith, who uh, joined the OECD as head of the Global Science uh, Forum um, in June 2014, and he's responsible for working with national members to define the overall strategy and priorities for the forum, including policy work on research infrastructures, open science, research funding mechanisms, and science advisory processes. So you're very, very welcome indeed, uh, uh, Carthage. Thank you uh, for coming along this afternoon. Our second uh, speaker is uh, Dr. Lydia Borrell Damien, who is the Secretary General of Science Europe. And prior to that, uh, Lydia was Director of Research and Innovation at the European University Association, an association representing more than 800 universities and national rectors at conferences. So again, uh, Lydia, thank you uh, for coming along today. Our fourth speaker is Professor uh, Ludwig Tilly. He's the Executive uh, Vice Rector of the Coimbra Group in charge of European Networks and Professor of Physics at the University of Poitiers. Um, uh, and actually, I'm really glad that Ludwig is with us because from the very outset, Coimbra has been hugely supportive of the whole Shape ID initiative. He's been a great friend of the project. So it's great you're with us today, Ludwig. And then last but not least, we have Dr. Anna uh, Antonova, uh, who is an early career researcher at the Rachel Carson Center for Environment and Society at LMU Munich as the Director of Environmental Humanities. And her research brings together humanities and social sciences approaches to examine social, environmental and policy change in the contemporary European context, particularly coastal landscapes. And we got to know Anna at one of our workshops, actually the one that we held um, in uh, Edinburgh uh, before COVID. Uh, and so it's lovely to welcome uh, Anna to this panel as well. So if I could, without further ado, invite Car Carthage to uh, begin uh, 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 the panel discussion. Over to you, Carthage. Thanks very much, Jane. And it's a real pleasure to be here. One of the last, um, live events that I went to be before the shutdown and the, what's happened to us all over the last 18 months was actually the workshop in Edinburgh and it, and it was a great meeting. Um, so I won't use PowerPoint, I'll try this without PowerPoint. Um, I'll give a, a few general comments, uh, talk about recommendations from some recent OECD work on addressing societal challenges using transdisciplinary research, and then some comments on the recommendations that you just put up, in fact. Um, so starting with the general comments. Um, so I think it's important to always bear in mind that transdisciplinary research is not a replacement for disciplinary research. It's a mode of research that is necessary to address these complex, wicked societal challenges. For example, those who are embedded in the SDGs. One of the major challenges uh, from the work we did looking at uh, transdisciplinary projects, one of the major challenges is actually the interdisciplinary part. Um, so getting different disciplines to work together, getting the different disciplines within AHSS to work with each other 
and then to get them to work with the hard and STEM sciences and vice versa. Um, that is almost a more significant challenge than actually getting engagement, proper engagement with external stakeholders. When it comes to external stakeholder engagement, I think that's really where the AHSS has, has a big advantage. That is something that your disciplines are used to doing often um, and something that you really can bring to the table in transdisciplinary research. As was emphasized in the first uh, presentation from the commission, um, we're not talking about uh, either technological solutions or social behavioral change solutions. We're talking about both for these wicked challenges. We need to integrate both types of solutions. It's not either or. Um, and then I think it's important also going back to the disciplinary uh, and the role of transdisciplinary, to bear in mind that not all researchers want to contribute to define policy goals. And that's what transdisciplinary research is about. And that's fine. We, we also need unrestricted blue skies, investigator driven research. Um, but it probably should come from a different funding stream. It, it's not mission driven research. It's a different type of research and we shouldn't necessarily, we shouldn't confuse the two. Um, and try and fit one into the other, uh, the square peg into the round hole. Um, moving on then to, to recommendations from, from OECD work. Um, so we looked from a science policy perspective at, at 30 um, project case studies. We analyzed what were the challenges um, and what were the solutions to some of those challenges and, and our definition of transdisciplinary for these projects was that they needed to include natural and social sciences and at least three disciplines and they needed to include at least two external stakeholder groups so um the challenge is actually a, a multiple stakeholders need to need to be activated to around the, the policy challenges to promote transdisciplinary research so we need actions from policymakers, from the funders, the universities themselves, and from the academic bodies. We need the policymakers to help create the enabling conditions. They need to prioritize the socio-technological socio solutions, as was said. Um, they also support for open science, for example, responsible research and innovation. Those things also promote transdisciplinary and interdisciplinary research. The funders, they need to adapt their funding schemes. We've heard a lot about that and the peer review processes. The institutions need to make disciplinary structures more permeable and interconnected. Uh, they need to take their third mission perhaps more seriously. Um, and we also need to revisit the evaluation processes and create alternative career paths. Academic bodies need to recognize and advocate for TDR, transdisciplinary research. Um, and we also need to be aware that transdisciplinarity doesn't become appropriated by one sector of the research community. So sustainability science uses a transdisciplinary research approach, but transdisciplinary research can be used out with sustainability science. And we, we need to make sure that it's actually, it's, it's a, a method and approach that uh, needs, to be in, needs to be embedded across the whole science and research system. Um, and the, the arts, humanities, social sciences are obviously well placed to contribute to that, and in some cases to lead those transdisciplinary projects. So looking 
that's the OECD recommendations in, in a nutshell. And you see this big overlap with, with what came through from the Shape ID work. And I, and I think that's great. Um, but looking at your specific recommendations, so on research funding and committing to missions. So I think the important thing there is that arts, humanities, and social sciences need to help co-design these missions and they need to look for opportunities to do so. And we also need to recognize the realities of the dominant framing for STI. Uh, those realities are shifting and arts, humanities, and social sciences need to be on the inside and, and challenging some of those, um, some of that framing, but we have to work with it. Uh, the alternative is to sit outside and criticize, but not engage. Um, in terms of supporting processes at a higher education level to, to change and enable intern transdisciplinary research and education, Absolutely. But again, I think the leaders in art, humanities and social sciences also need to break down their elitist silos. Um, they exist in all disciplines. Um, some of what I witnessed at the Edinburgh meeting confirmed for me that art, humanities and social sciences is very similar to, to other um, hard science disciplines in that sense. There, there are many um, who actually are quite comfortable with the system as it is. Um, we need the leaders that want change to really uh, be empowered and, and to make that change happen. Uh, in terms of research networks and infrastructures, um, yes, we, we need support for networks, but there are also many out there. I think before reinventing the wheel, we need to look at what is out there. Uh, for example, I was at a meeting at the Royal Irish Academy last week discussing very similar topics. Uh, so we don't want a lot of duplication and competition between networks. Um, it's interesting that the TDR net has actually started to form an alliance of, of international networks that are interested in transdisciplinary research. And I think build on what is there. Um, in terms of then coming back to the, to the goals of, of funders and, and uh, it was a specific recommendation about more resources to enable the development of transdisciplinary research projects. And, and that came through strongly in the work that we did as well. The question is, where should that funding come from? Universities themselves often have seed funding. They have their own funding that they can use to promote research. It doesn't necessarily have to come through the research funders and their competitive project funding mechanisms. And I think that's something you, that needs to be considered. Who, who's responsible for funding what part of the whole piece? Um, I think the toolkit in, in terms of, um, of what I've seen of it, I, I had a quick look at a beta version. I think it's an excellent toolkit and um, I think it really will help AHSS. And the issue of sustainability needs to be addressed what I like about it as well is it, it's kind of a portal to, to other materials and brings them all together rather than reproducing things. Um, and then in concluding, I would just say, um, the really, for me, the issue that came through from the work we did was not so much about the amount of funding, um, but really about this issue of breaking down the disciplinary silos and sort of changing the academic uh, system in a way changing the silos and the power structures within institutions. 
That's not that obvious to do from a central policy perspective. Most of our universities in most of our countries are really pretty autonomous and for good reasons. Um, but there are also examples like uh, Arizona State University, for example, um, where really there have been a change. There's been a significant change in the, in the way they are structured to, to really enable um, transdisciplinary and interdisciplinary research. Um, and I think we, we need to move beyond the, the endless discussion of should something be called research or should it be called science? Um, I've witnessed so many of those discussions that have ended up with no conclusion. Um, I think we all need to work together, whatever we call it. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Carthage. Some very wise uh, uh, advice and some great, great, and very perceptive thoughts. If we can move on to our uh, next speaker, please, Lydia, over to you. Thank you very much, uh, Jane. Please move on to the next slide. Um, yes, uh, I'm Lydia Borodi, I'm Secretary General of Science Europe. I'm delighted to be part of this panel. I, I am very grateful to Jane for having invited me and uh, very happy to contribute to this discussion to the best way I can. I will be speaking from uh, the uh, funders and performing research organizations, national funding and national performing research organizations. So I hope that I can address several of the uh, issues that have been mentioned by Harald, Jane, and also by Cartage uh, from the funders and national performers perspective. Indeed, interdisciplinarity is about combining knowledge whether it's research or science, is about combining knowledge, combining in-depth knowledge. And um, as, as straightforward as it is to see that as the natural way in which science evolves, uh, many barriers do remain to support it. We all know that there are not the most appropriate assessment processes and criteria to assess uh, research proposals or the outcomes of research projects. There are not a great variety or availability of uh, peer reviews in these uh, interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary domains. And this results overall in a certain lack of incentives and rewards and recognitions. So if we go to the next slide, please. I would like to mention that uh, Science Europe uh, analyzed in 2019 and 20, uh, close to 40 research assessment processes out of uh, this, its members, funding and performing organizations. And out of the self analysis uh, by the institutions that have these processes in place, came out uh, several uh, framework recommendations. You have them here on the screen. I will not of course, go in detail into every one of them, because they are lots, uh, there are lots of nuances attached to each of them. But issues regarding transparency, the robustness of the process, the possible bias, discrimination or unfair treatment, the costs and efficiency of the system, and very importantly, the applicant's effort, meaning the researchers, uh, the necessity to, to broaden the pool of reviewers, the uh, necessity as well to develop more and more ways of assessing research qualitatively and not so much through quantitative indicators. 
And last but not least, the need to test novel approaches in a rigorous way and share the experience with other organizations and other institutions. I think this, uh, these seven recommendations are of wide application and are complementary to all the other recommendations that Cartage has mentioned from the part of OECD and that uh, Jane has also mentioned as part of their findings in Shape ID. I also want to thank uh, the Commission for taking a stand on interdisciplinarity and encouraging them to take more of it so that also the others can follow. We are all aware of, of this kind of uh, leadership effect of the Commission in fostering forthcoming policies. So if we move to the next slide, please. Um, going back to Science Europe, we've been discussing the issue on interdisciplinarity for several years now. Um, the conclusions are not different from the others that have been mentioned here today, but maybe I, I will put the um, angle on the last recommendation of this slide, which is about the support and guide of research community. So we need researchers to be at the forefront of a change uh, together with others. But I think that the role of researchers is super important in, in this domain so that they can drive the and demand in the good sense of the word, better system recognitions for the research in transdisciplinary uh, subjects and also demand from the politicians and demand from society that this is uh, more uh, prominent. Um, I think something that Jane said that was very important is the long-term commitment. That's really uh, important because interdisciplinary is a long-term business. It's very difficult and uh, it needs to be supported by the leadership of the institutions that I, I have seen happening, well, for example, while I was in, um, at the European University Association, how the was so important that the leadership of university was providing the necessary space, not only physical, but also career-wise, the necessary space for development of breakthrough projects that nobody had done uh, before. If we go to the next one, please. Um, Science Europe is now moving on we have a new brand new strategy that will be published next week and we are opening up a new line of activities that we have uh, framed under the name of research culture uh, we intend to study interdisciplinarity as well as all the other aspects related to research assessment um, under by, by looking zooming into the trends and evolution of what is becoming a, a field on its own, this research culture. We believe that um, assessing interdisciplinary projects, assessing better current projects or current outcomes needs first a reappraisal of what is of value in research, what is of value in the research culture. We need to improve not only the recognition systems, because that is like the end of the story or is on the pipe or at the end of the pipeline of a research process. But we need to go back to the beginning of the research process and foster interdisciplinarity right at the start. And how can we do that? Well, not only about appropriate policies in terms of recognition, as I said, it's about providing the necessary infrastructures, the necessary data interoperability frameworks 
so people can really use available data from different uh, fields and engage in truly this interdisciplinary research uh, right from the start. So there will be more activities uh, coming in and I think I would like to launch here uh, also an offer to the Shape ID team, which I think it's doing a, an excellent job uh, to collaborate together in the future. For us in this framework, uh, please, next slide, we have signed the uh, Lisbon uh, Declaration on Humanities, Open Research and Innovation that was launched uh, in Lisbon on 7th May 2021. And many of our members have also done so. We, we have encouraged them to do so. And um, I would like to then say that work will continue. And please, next slide. Um, to make a, a summary of what I want to bring here in this panel is that we can contribute to the understanding of the importance of the interdisciplinarity. From Science Europe, I cannot do interdisciplinary research, but I certainly I can contribute to the understanding. And understanding not only is what it means uh, conceptually, which I think nobody can question that, but what means in practice? Because interdisciplinary practice is different for funding organizations, is different, is different from research performing organizations, for policymakers, etc. We all have naturally different understandings. We come from different angles to the activity of research. And this needs to be discussed and clarified, and we need to understand better each other, all of us. Zooming onto the SHAPE uh, ID toolkit, I think that is uh, an excellent development. I think it provides a very important, important practical resource. I think it is important to highlight the practicality of the results because interdisciplinarity is a very complex issue to understand. And I think that uh, SHAPE toolkit is uh, a very excellent environment to do that. Moreover, it is relevant for the different stakeholders. That was my previous point. It's very relevant for researchers, it's very relevant for research institutions, for research funders, for supporting staff, for research body, policymakers. I think that anybody interested in learning about uh, interdisciplinarity can find its place, uh, can find the information that's necessary through the toolkit. And um, just to wrap up saying that this is all very important because all the different aspects of the research landscape need to support in this interdisciplinarity. It is for all of us, is it, it is about making science or research for the people. So it's people for people doing research. And I think that um, the SHAPE ID toolkit can help us in achieving this goal. So thank you very much to uh, Jane. Congratulations, and I look forward to keep working with them. Thank you very much, Lydia, again, for that really, really um, thoughtful uh, response and your very kind words about the toolkit, which is so gratifying to hear, and also your offer to work with you. We can't wait. So, uh, uh, so thank you very much indeed. If we can turn to our third speaker uh, now, uh, Ludwig, so um, please, over to you. Thank you very much, Jane. Uh, good afternoon to all. Uh, I'm absolutely delighted to be here today, in particular with uh, such a distinguished uh, panel. Uh, 
Let me just briefly maybe say a few words about the Quebra Group so that you understand why uh, it is represented here today. Uh, the Quebra Group of universities has been created in 1985, so it is actually the oldest uh, network of uh, universities in Europe, and today it gathers 41 long-standing comprehensive universities from uh, 23 countries. And these comprehensive universities, they all have in common, in particular, not only, but in particular, very strong SSA research. And as such, uh, the Quebec Group has always been and continues to be a very strong advocate to SSH. And actually, I should say to AHSS, as it seems to be now the, the, the right wording. Uh, if, if I start with some general introductory remarks, uh, let me go back to a few years uh, uh, where actually the what we called at that time the embedding agenda for SSH was intended to be uh, at the heart of the Horizon 2020 uh, work uh, program, uh, European program, and especially in what was called at that time the Pillar 3, the societal challenges. And uh, this embedding agenda was really a groundbreaking innovation approach, which was at that time very much welcomed by the Quimba Group and many other stakeholders. It should be recognized that some progress has been made uh, toward the integration of SSH into all societal uh, challenges. Uh, this has actually, uh, well, despite this progress, this has uh, considerably lagged behind expectations and many opportunities for better integration across the challenges and goals. And actually a greater role for SSH uh, has, uh, should have been realized. The lack of progress uh, in embedding uh, and strengthening the SSH perspectives uh, from the, the work program, uh, from one work program to another, has been generally disappointing and important opportunities to address societal challenges in a more comprehensive way uh, have been lost. So therefore today is very, uh, a very important day uh, with the launch of the Shape ID Toolkit because the toolkit has the capacity to bring solutions to the challenges related to this embedding agenda for AHSS. And we have also seen from the, the previous two uh, uh, interventions, in particular the one from, from Lydia, that uh, there are many important developments uh, going on, uh, and this is actually uh, really, really excellent. Coming now more to the details of the, the policy briefs and the toolkits, uh, it should be really recognized that this is an impressive toolkit in terms of structure and amount of resources. It provides concrete and precise recommendations, guides and case studies targeted to all stakeholders. And this is, I think, very important. Uh, the, the funders, the partners, the institutions, and the researchers. This is absolutely fundamental. And in particular, uh, it is, I believe, truly instrumental in the promotion and realization of interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary uh, research, where AHSS should not be at periphery, but really at the core. And this is so much relevant and timely in the current context. And just listing a few important developments. When we uh, have seen in the first presentation from the Commission, the Horizon Europe program with the missions and clusters in the, the second pillar on global challenges, with open science and citizen science, where interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary research will be one uh, will be of paramount importance for the realization of the proposed ambitious objectives. But also, we have seen last year, at the end of last year, uh, the uh, ERA uh, European Research Area revitalization 
that includes in particular the recognition of, of researchers uh, from the, the, the viewpoint of the skills of, of researchers, the careers, etc. Also, what is going on currently under the Portuguese uh, European Union presidency with a very strong uh, focus on people, on researchers. And the last but not the least, uh, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals that clearly offer a way to respond to the global challenges in the decade to come. And by essence, by nature, they are multisectoral, interdisciplinary, and interconnected. So clearly in this context, the Shape ID toolkit will be key. Uh, in particular, we have seen uh, that it provides clear guidelines and tips for the training of individual researchers, including on how to prepare the career paths, creating collaborative conditions in co-create a successful research project, engaging and communicating with collaborators from other disciplines and other sectors. And I can tell you as a physicist that we need uh, help clearly in this field. Uh, but as well, of course, regarding the supporting uh, from the funding to the evaluating uh, the complex type of research that are uh, uh, interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary. If we also look at the, the, the key recommendations, let me also give a few remarks. The first one uh, on the sociocultural missions and challenges. But if we just look at the past months and years, the COVID-19 pandemic has shown the importance of EHSS for large and complex societies such as, such as uh, the European one. Uh, so we can maybe see here the possible new chapter for these disciplines. So really let's, let's use this, uh, this special moment to, 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 to bring back EHSS uh, to, the, to the center. And as such, of course, it should be acknowledged by all stakeholders and Cobra Group uh, is a, a very uh, strong supporter. Regarding the key, key recommendation on funding calls, well, that's very obvious that the language of the calls is indeed a crucial point and that the rather low success rate and oversubscription in AHSS related calls may be partly linked to a misunderstanding of the language used. However, the second and perhaps more important part of the puzzle lies in the limited space that AHSS related calls obtain in the work programs as a whole. And here, maybe more open calls could be a solution. The third recommendation on seed funding to enable relationship building. Well, clearly seed funding for enabling new partnerships should be a mechanism applied at multiple levels of research support of AHSS. For instance, it could, it could start at the level of the departments, then at the level of the institution, and then followed by the now more uh, uh, usual national and international levels. It is very important to the Quimper Group that more opportunities for extended institutional partnership uh, should be made available to AHSS. Regarding the key recommendation on building a culture of inter and transdisciplinary research in higher education, while we all know that culture change takes time and indeed higher education system should be incentivized by policymakers and funders to develop, develop such type of new ways of doing research. Um, and of course, it also goes through the training of staff and the evaluation uh, of what is uh, performed. Of course, there, there is no one size fits all solution. And uh, for instance, uh, in many domains of AHSS, researchers are uh, actually already putting in place interdisciplinary research and transdisciplinary research approaches de facto. 
And also, uh, we know that a top-down approach may sometimes be counterproductive. So we have to pay attention here. Uh, regarding the key recommendation on research networks and infrastructure, well, clearly here the problematic of research network and uh, infrastructures may be understood in line with the policy supporting open science. Here, clearly, much progress was enabled due to, for instance, EOSC, ORD, Open Air. And here also the Quamba Group uh, full, uh, is fully supporting these initiatives. So, well, I don't want to, 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 to be too long. So again, my very warm congratulations for the impressive outcomes of the Shape ID project. Uh, Quamba Group will continue uh, to help you disseminating and you can come with us. And once again, congratulations. Thank you very much, Ludwig, and we really appreciate the support. Uh, we really do, especially with the dissemination as we move into the final phase. Uh, at the very outset, you said the acronym AHSS. Jack Spappen, who is one of our collaborators, uh, he said, Jane, we will know that we've done our job well if people start to use the acronym. So again, it was music to my ears to hear you say that. So anyway, Ludwig, thank you very much indeed. And without further ado, over to Anna. Anna, please, the floor is yours. Thank you, Jane, and thanks every much. Thanks so much to the entire Shape ID team for this invitation. It's really exciting to be here and to be part of this conversation, which is both an interesting and a necessary conversation. Um, and it's also exciting to see how far the Shape ID team has moved from Edinburgh in early 2020 in a different world pre-pandemic and how much they have been able to accomplish in such a short time and to see some of the conversations that we had then coming to shape in the policy toolkit. What I'm going to do today is talk a little bit about my own experience as an early career researcher doing interdisciplinary research, particularly at the doctoral level. Um, and I'm going to talk about some of the benefits that I've drawn from this, as well as some of the challenges that I've experienced. And then I'm going to use that as a launch point to make just a very, a couple of very brief points about the exciting policy toolkit. So just to give you a bit of a background in who I am, I did my PhD at the University of Leeds as part of a international European Union funded uh, doctoral program, <clears throat> a so-called innovative training network uh, under a Marie Skulowska Curie funding line in Horizon uh, 2020. And this particular network focused on environmental humanities, which then as now uh, was and is a relatively new field of research, which brings uh, humanities disciplines like history, literature, philosophy to bear on environmental challenges uh, and societal change associated with these challenges around the world. Since the field was so new, I, as well as most of my peers in the network, were recruited from outside of the field. Um, I personally came from a background in policy studies, uh, in particular European marine fisheries policy, um, and we were encouraged, and in fact this was part of the brief of the overall network, to blend our disciplines with environmental humanities and to really work interdisciplinarily. So from the onset, we had a very privileged position to do interdisciplinary uh, research as early career scholars, uh, where we were well-funded, well-supported, uh, situated in a very uh, excited, already established network with a good mentor system. So again, just a, a very privileged position to be doing interdisciplinary research. Um, and I should say that I felt that I absolutely benefited from the exchange between uh, policy and environmental humanities and the, the support that I had to do this interdisciplinary work. Um, my project, which was originally conceived as a comparative study of policies between two European coastlines,
pipelines in Bulgaria and in the UK, um, was actually able to take on much more comprehensive and wider questions, um, much more human-centered questions, as we've heard today, about the way that communities living on each coastline relate to that coastline and how that impacts policy and is impacted by policy. Um, so again, the interdisciplinarity and the support I had to do this interdisciplinarity uh, really widened the scope of my research. Um, and in turn, this enabled me to communicate to a great many uh, different networks in the academy. Since finishing my PhD, I have been able to work with uh, publications that span uh, fields like policy, um, history, landscape studies, geography, um, and of course, I still work in environmental humanities. So. I had a very positive interdisciplinary experience throughout my doctoral program, but despite this, I definitely encountered some challenges as well, um, particularly where it came through pushing and uh, guiding a very interdisciplinary project through um, an institution that it comes from a very disciplinary foundation and is structured around disciplinary silos. Um, and this is a common problem that we've heard, but I certainly felt this at different stages and I certainly felt it specifically where it came to examination stages. Because I was blending humanities and social science approaches, at different examination points, I was asked to conform either to one set of expectations or to the other set of expectations. Um, so at the transfer stage, which is an examination at the end of the first year of the PhD program in the UK, um, I was asked, for instance, to do a more humanistic focused project and to do more theory, a more directed project um, with interview collection. So a more directed approach to interview collection as opposed to more spontaneous ethnographic work. Um, whereas at my Viva, at the end of my PhD, I was asked essentially to do the very opposite. I was told um, that my work was a little bit too theoretical, a little bit too directed and not spontaneous enough. Um, so needless to say, this kind of contradiction can be uh, a little frustrating um, and uh, can take a lot of time and effort to adjust uh, your work to shifting expectations with interdisciplinarity. So the point here is that although I had um, an extremely privileged position doing interdisciplinary work and was able to gain a, a lot from my interdisciplinarity and had an overall absolutely positive experience, Still and nevertheless, I encountered some challenges that uh, one shouldn't um, shouldn't ignore. So having told this little story, I would just like to move into some points about the Shape ID Policy Toolkit. First of all, let me just say that it's really exciting to see such a policy toolkit because its very existence and the willingness uh, of so many important stakeholders to be engaging at such a detailed level with this policy toolkit speaks to the enthusiasm uh, among funders, among research agencies, among national and international agencies to support interdisciplinary research in the academy. And I think this will make a huge difference. Um, I read with particular interest the policy toolkit recommendations for early career scholars and interdisciplinary scholars, and I find them extremely valuable, particularly where it comes to recommendations to learn to advocate for interdisciplinarity and learn to think about meta skills in the way that you could adapt um, those skills um, to advocating for your work. Um, equally, however, I find as particularly helpful from an early career perspective, the recommendations for evaluators and funders. And I find it especially heartening to hear that the European Commission um, and other agencies around Europe are taking um, the funding and evaluator guidelines so seriously, because from an early career perspective, often um, you don't necessarily have so much of the power to speak and to take into account your institutions for changing and, and to think taking interdisciplinarity into account, whereas the funders really do. So it's really encouraging 
encouraging to see these guidelines. Um, I would also very much be happy to see guidelines for mentors. Um, what has really made a difference in my experience and in my career has been the mentors that I've had as part of my network. But I also think that for them as well, interdisciplinarity can be a difficult journey to navigate, particularly the more interdisciplinary projects become for early career scholars, the more a single mentor is not necessarily always able to be everything uh, and to do everything to support that scholar. So it's really wonderful to see a movement towards, um, uh, it takes a village uh, mentorship approach to uh, guiding interdisciplinary projects. And it's so important to see mentors uh, engage with epistemological flexibility and to really think about um, how they could do, uh, how they could work together to support an interdisciplinary scholar. Now, I know I'm the last body standing between you and the comfort break, so I, I will stop there, uh, but I'm just very excited to be part of this conversation and I'm looking forward to the afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed, Anna, for sharing your insights so honestly and, and so eloquently, not just today, but, but obviously at the workshop. And we might take you up on your suggestion, of course, that the, the, uh, Catherine will be presenting the toolkit with the team after, after the break. But, but obviously, you know, we do still have an opportunity to maybe tweak, add, polish. And the idea of having um, guidelines for mentors is a fabulous one. And maybe you'll help us uh, uh, draft that because I think the component bits are already there. It's how we pull that together. So uh, thank you very much indeed. We have um, about 10 minutes, 12 minutes for Q&A. Um, and we've one question from Neve Nigawan, uh, 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 who is the president of the Irish Humanities Alliance. And uh, I, it would lovely, Neve, if, if we can make your Mike live and, and get you to um, ask your question, that would be fantastic. But I'm just wondering if Harold, since we've seen the question, it's in the Q&A, uh, might also want to, 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 to be part of the discussion. It, Harold, I mean, it would be terrific if you if you want to, 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 to answer any of these questions, including the one from Neve, we, we would really, really welcome that. Um, uh, so, so Neve, I don't know, are you, uh, 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 can you hear me? Jane, Great. can you hear me? Well, um, you're very welcome. Why don't you ask your own question? Thanks so much, Jane, and just huge congratulations to the Shape ID team. It's absolutely fantastic. So my question uh, relates to how we can best, uh, my question is to the panel, how can we best provide the structures and systems and supports and actions that will mean that AHSS researchers are in the room, able to make the connections, able to proactively build out those research connections across disciplines. So um, a number of the speakers, and I think it was uh, Dr. Carthage Smith in particular mentioned, uh, you know, that you need to be in the room, you need to get out of your silo. But it, it seems to me that that kind of work of bridge building, that's a whole skill set in itself. So do we need another layer here, um, another kind of series of actions that's making sure that those connections are being built? Or is, you know, is, it, is it a little bit too much of a risk to think that the researchers themselves are going to have to, as well as developing those interdisciplinary capacities and learning different research languages, that they also have to develop all of those networks and bridges. And I know that um, there was a, a, a response to somebody else's comment in the question saying, you know, use these research networks like the Marie Curie networks, like Quimbra, like the Yarun network. And I think that was a really good uh, example of, of an answer, but I just wondered if people had any other uh, thoughts on that. Thanks so much. And thank you very much to everybody. Thank you very much, Neve. Um, Carthage, do you want to respond to begin with? But I'd love to just hear from, from all, all of our uh, speakers there. It's a very important question and it cuts to the culture as well. 
Um, so, so I think in the end, I'm going to pass this back to you, Jane, because I think you're in the best position to respond because you're actually trying to do this. Um, but I think there are some structural solutions, if you like, uh, at the governance level within uh, our research institutions, you know, who is actually making the decisions? What are the cross-disciplinary structures that you have in place or the cross-disciplinary courses? You know, what are the meeting spaces that you have for, for different researchers to come together, etc.? Um, and then to what extent um, are people, the younger researchers in the AHSS disciplines, really encouraged to participate in those structures where they exist? Or is that seen as a waste of time? You've got, your, you've got to produce your PhD, you've got to produce your papers, don't spend time talking. Um, but yeah, then I would pass it back to you, Jane, because I think that's that's fine in theory, but it all comes down to people in the end. So also it's about leadership. So so how have you gone about it? Well, I'm very happy briefly to talk to our experience, but again, I'd love to hear from the panel. So in Trinity, we're very lucky. We've got a, um, a number of Trinity research institutes that are all about interdisciplinarity. So I am a historian uh, by trade, uh, but I headed up, uh, and the current director is in the room today, Eve Patton, a, a research institute in the arts and humanities. And one of our explicit objectives was to develop collaborations with colleagues in the computer physical sciences, um, uh, engineering, natural sciences, so on and so forth, medical human sciences, I mean, um, sorry, uh, uh, neurohumanities was another big area as well as environmental uh, humanities and and we were trying to do that at all levels including uh, early career researchers so we had 40 early career researchers in our institute and I actually think the early career researcher piece is extremely important and it goes back to some of the things that Anna was saying you really need to embed it at all levels so in other words it's not just enough the academics you need it through the career pipeline um, and increasingly now I think universities including Trinity is trying to embed into interdisciplinarity um, in, uh, at the level of uh, the undergraduates as, as well as the postgraduates, because my institute was just postgraduates, mostly uh, PhD students. Um, th the other point I would make is interdisciplinarity is one challenge or a set of challenges, and it's not easy to do it within an institution. So then replicating it across institutions is where these wider networks, I think, are very important. The other big challenge is transdisciplinarity, because that's when you're talking to, if you want, stakeholders outside the university, uh, whether that's enterprise, NGOs, CSOs, cultural institutions. And again, we're just really finding our way uh, there. I'm currently the PI on another project called Human Plus, which is all about putting the human at the center of technological innovation, where we're working very closely with our computer scientists. Uh, and it's to create a cohort of, it's a Marie Curie co-fund, uh, a cohort of 18 postdoctoral fellows who, in a sense, embody actually this inter and transdisciplinarity that we're talking about it uh, in a theoretical way. But Carthage, just to underscore, you know, it's not easy. It is high risk. It requires um, people a lot of trust, actually, because the truth is when I'm working with colleagues in neuroscience, I don't really understand or even, you know, some of the work we do, the computer scientists, the algorithms. I, I'm, yeah, I'm a 70th century historian. So, so you have to be willing to look stupid uh, and, and put yourself out there as well. And I think that's a challenge, especially for early career researchers. But they're really, to my mind, the lifeblood and are going to be the ones that 
make those uh, uh, really pioneering changes. But those are just my experiences. I'd love to hear from other members of the panel, though, and your responses, please, Ludwig. Yes, actually, Ludwig, uh, if your mic. Yes, you hear me? Yeah, yes. we can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, yes, I, I, if I was the, the first respondent, I would have said to, to our colleague, well, use the, the Shape ID toolkit first. <laughs> then, um, actually, I think that as you, as you rightly pointed out, uh, the institutional level is absolutely key. Uh, we have now more and more examples of institutions that are restructuring the way they function, the way they organize by creating uh, um, interdisciplinary uh, faculties or colleges or, or uh, grouping the laboratories and institute around challenges. Uh, I, I, I can tell you that this is what we are currently doing in Poitiers and, and it really creates a completely new way of working and culture. So this is the second point. The third point is actually something which is becoming, uh, uh, which is under development and this is as you actually mentioned at some point uh, in your very initial uh, uh, introductory remarks, uh, the, the European Universities Alliances, which are uh, which have been launched uh, last year and the year before for in, in two waves. Uh, and these, these alliances are intrinsically uh, challenge based and they are going uh, to develop with time new research, new education activities that are actually putting uh, interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary activities at the center of this new uh, evolution or maybe actually revolution of the higher education system. Um, I'm actually coordinating the ECTU Alliance and we are currently building three challenge-based uh, master program, one on good health and well-being, one on quality education and so one on sustainable cities and, and uh, communities. And it is challenging, clearly challenging, because we need to put the people from the different disciplines, from the different curricula around the same table, but once we have them, it's absolutely fabulous. People are really willing to work together. We just need to help them to incentivize and I'm pretty sure that the toolkit will actually foster this even further. Mm, that's great to hear. Thanks, Ludwig. I don't know, uh, Harold, or uh, Lydia, uh, Anna, I don't know if I, I need, would you like to come in? Sure, yeah, no problem. I can come in. Yeah, I, I would like to thank, to, to say, um, uh, Jane, that you pointed out uh, the, uh, at the several circles that that uh, we are trapped in a way, eh? the research or the research world is trapped in, in several circles, uh, either internal in our own functioning or external on what is valued by others. And, and I, I believe that uh, this limitation that we find so clearly in interdisciplinary studies is in fact part of a limitation in the system where we are, we are all driven by this publish or perish uh, paradigm, which is still very much embedded in all research activities. And what you, Jane and Ludovic also referred as to this, the, the, the creativity, even if it is a lot in the research sector is somehow limited by the constraints imposed in a system that forces to publish and to publish in a certain way. So the more we can open up to, to uh, uh, free thinkers and the more we can open up to uh, new concepts of what is research, the better we can foster interdisciplinarity as well. I think it's all intertwined with the normal research because I think that interdisciplinary just amplifies 
what is a systemic problem. And until we don't address the problem, we, we will not be able to progress on interdisciplinarity either. I, yeah, you're probably right, even though I don't want to hear that, Lydia. It's true, absolutely. Harold, please, over to you. Okay, thanks very much. Um, I fear there is no quick fix for this. Um, what we can do at the European level is in our program to foster some of the developments, but this, if this is not matched by a bottom-up development, it will not work on a broad basis. What do I mean by this? Uh, first, it would need that uh, by, uh, uh, in a general way, you need to form inter uh, uh, interdisciplinary teams in the universities to foster this. You should not replace what is also mono, uh, mono research, which is also very useful, but you should give the opportunity to have this at the universities and to foster this. Secondly, at a certain level in the curricula, you need to introduce modules where people learn to understand the others, where people learn to work together across disciplines and also manage such groups. And uh, the last but not least element is that uh, you publish or you perish. Um, if you look at the publication, at the reviews, where you get peer-reviewed uh, publications, uh, they are, most of them are focused on specific disciplines. There is almost nothing which is cross-disciplinary. And uh, 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 so even with your best will, you're not able to publish in these things. And I think we should see if one can also find ways of creating such reviews in order to foster publication also in that. Back to you, thank you. Yeah, no, and I, again, I completely agree. And that, that we found that very much in the course of Shape ID. And in fact, uh, uh, Julia uh, uh, Sanetti, who's joining us, has made a comment online about, you know, when you try to do something interdisciplinary, it just doesn't fit. And so then, you know, and you're caught between a rock and a hard place then, Harold, because there's no incentivization. So it, it's, it's a real challenge. And I agree, it's very, very long term. Uh, we're coming to our break point, but I don't know, Anna, would you like to contribute anything to this conversation coming from your perspective? Sure, just very briefly. I mean, what I have to say would essentially echo what others have said, but um, first, the importance of community, and I think we were just talking about this, if you're doing research, you're speaking to a community, regardless of whether you're in a discipline or you're in interdisciplinary settings, and you have to have a community to speak to, to have the trust with that you were talking about, Jane, and to be able to be vulnerable with as your research develops. Um, and so I think that's incredibly important. So when we think about interdisciplinary research, we need to support communities and not just specific individuals or specific projects. And then I think certainly from an early career researcher perspective to think about the long term and not just about this particular project. And I think that's also been said earlier, but to think about where will this research go in the future and where will this scholar go in the future? What will they do with that particular research for their career and for their community? And I think a lot about this now. Uh, we're developing a new interdisciplinary master's program where I work at um, Rachel Carson Center at LMU Munich. And we think a lot about where will I student, our students go with this project, with this, with this master's degree in hand? Will they be able to just go into the academy or can they do other things as well? So it's important to think about kind of the long-term um, timeline of where your interdisciplinarity goes and what it's directing to. Yeah. 
again, a very important uh, contribution in terms of my own journey with interdisciplinarity. It actually began back in 2003 when I began to collaborate with computer scientists. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how it does take, you know, a long time to build that trust. But a lot of these initiatives that we're now, especially the Human Plus uh, program that I mentioned a moment ago, it actually began life uh, a very long time ago. It's taken uh, uh, really a decade to, to build those relationships. So thank you, Anna. And thank you, colleagues, for, I mean, what a fabulous set of uh, uh, presentations, responses to the toolkit, uh, but also extremely incisive um uh, interventions and, and and reflections so on behalf of the audience um i'd love to thank you enormously um uh, firstly harold uh, uh, but then in the order that you spoke carthage lydia ludwig and anna for uh, your fabulous contributions and uh, invite everybody to take a 10 minute comfort break tea break coffee break whatever you have at this time of day and to join us again we'll start on time at 20 to the hour for really i suppose the star of the show uh catherine at lyle will uh, uh, uh launch uh, our and introduce you to to the actual uh shape id toolkit itself but for now thank you our panel and see you all shortly going to say, uh, can I welcome everybody back uh, for the second part of our discussion this afternoon? Uh, so we've just had the warm up at, for the main uh, act. Uh, and it gives me great pleasure to hand over now to um, Catherine Lyle, who has led the work package um, that has developed this really phenomenal uh, uh, toolkit. Obviously the entire team has fed into it, but the leadership that Catherine has shown has been just fantastic. Um, and I, I noticed there's a, a link in the um, chat to her book, but it's an absolute cracking read. So Catherine, I'm, you know, I'd encourage everybody, it's hard for you to say it, so I can say it and I, I have read it. I think it's fantastic. And just from a very personal perspective, going back to that original IRC networking grant that we got back in 2000, and I guess it was probably about um, 16, um, it was such a pleasure to meet Catherine and continue to work with her as it has been with all of our Shape ID colleagues. So, so Catherine, uh, over to you, uh, Isabel and the team uh, for the toolkit. Thank you very much, Jane. That was a wonderful introduction and, it, and it's fantastic to see how things have developed from that first IRC meeting, isn't it? As Jane said, this has been very much a team activity. Um, all of the partners in consortium have contributed to the Shape ID Toolkit, but in particular the four, the four colleagues who are mentioned on this slide, and you will be hearing from some of them in this short presentation. Now the goals of the toolkit really, we set ourselves three goals. In designing the toolkit, we wanted to inspire and motivate people who had perhaps not so far taken play, part in inter or transdisciplinary research. Um, we were also aware that some people would already have some experience in this area of research, but might be looking for, for some further information. So there is a, a very clear uh, information and instructional element to the toolkit as well. Above all, what we wanted to do, uh, recognising that we would have many different types of users, and, and some of our previous speakers have highlighted the range of stakeholders whom we're targeting. Um, we wanted this to be a very well signposted website, so we were looking to provide guidance so that we could develop 
each individual could develop their own pathway uh, in order to, to find the information that they needed in order to support and conduct their research. We'd like to think that the toolkit has some unique features. Um, I think specifically, as you've heard from previous speakers, uh, the very targeted lens on the arts, humanities and social science disciplines. Although we also hope that others, and particularly those from the STEM disciplines, will learn a great deal from the toolkit and they will learn how to work more effectively with the AHSS disciplines. Um, we very much try to tailor these resources uh, with the arts and humanities disciplines in mind and as I said we wanted to provide um, guided navigation if you like um, so that there's a certain amount of hand-holding that people are able to work their way through the toolkit um, having had the benefit of others' experience. Um, and so we're particularly targeting there, that, as I said, the novices, the people who may be a little bit nervous about embarking on this type of research, perhaps because they've had a bad experience in the past. Jane has already alluded to the, uh, some of the work that's gone on before behind the toolkit. Um, I'll just touch a little bit on the evidence base for it. Although collectively, as a consortium, we probably represent many decades of experience and expertise in interdisciplinarity, um, this isn't something that we've just developed on our own, that is very much rooted in the evidence, in the empirical experience of the, the literature that was reviewed in Work Package 2, uh, of the knowledge gathered from the learning case workshops that you've heard about. Um, we're very grateful to the participants of those workshops for their contributions. And uh, we relied very heavily on our colleagues uh, who led on Work Package 4 to provide the early analysis of these preconditions. All of this enabled us to produce a prototype of the website, of the toolkit, which we presented to our expert panel in early March. And here we really do have to acknowledge the contributions of these expert panel members, our advisors on this project, um, their feedback and their, their discussions at these meetings really enabled us to make a step change with the toolkit. I think it is now twice the toolkit that it was before we met them. Um, so we are really indebted to the expert panel members uh, for their, for their uh, inputs to all of this. You'll be hearing in a few minutes about some of the particular bespoke resources uh, that we have produced. Uh, and in particular, these are derived uh, some of the case study material from the workshops and uh, things like the guided reading list that we've been able to produce is very much an output from the work of, of Work Package 2. So we're going to take you through uh, just a few of the key features of the toolkit. Um, I was very heartened to hear Carthage's comment about um, the need to avoid competition uh, and, and recognising that there are already many existing resources out there on the topic of inter and transdisciplinarity. And certainly I was very keen that we weren't going to reinvent the wheel. Uh, so Carthage recognised that what we are providing here is a gateway. It's a portal, essentially, to a lot of the resources that people may not yet be aware of. So that's been one of the toolkit's key functions in providing a gateway to new and existing resources. At the core of the toolkit is a series of guided pathways. Um, and here we're particularly thinking about uh, the novices, the people for whom this is a new area. They maybe don't quite know where to start. 
And so it, through the guided pathway option, um, we introduce them to a range of topics, we provide information in bite-sized pieces, and then enable them to drill down so that they can access further resources. Just to give you some further examples here, um, we recognise that people might be approaching the toolkit with uh, specific questions in mind. Um, they might just want to find out what interdisciplinary research is. Uh, how do we do inter and transdisciplinary research? So we have a section on understanding uh, what the meanings are, the multiple meanings of this type of work. People may have more specific requirements. They be, may be looking to develop some creative collaborations. How do they start that? So there's information there. Um, we've talked quite a lot about funding as well, and you'll see information there. So a range of different key topics. I'm just going to pick out one because it's something that's come up in our previous conversations so far this afternoon. Uh, Jane highlighted the importance of involving the arts, humanities and social sciences in the co-creation of the design, the co-design of these funding calls. So if our users were to select the option to find out more about funding collaborative research projects, they would find uh, a series of resources around um, co-designing funding calls. Um, this would then open up into further detail. Um, what our users have commented on particularly is that they like the variety of the different resources that we make available. So in each case, uh, the toolkit follows the same format of a um, small piece of information, then leading on to others, either websites, other people's websites, video materials, reports, and so forth. Um, so under each of these topic headings, you will find a series of um, curated resources. So that's just one example of um, many of the things that, that you will find within the toolkit and we will be giving you an op opportunity to take a look yourselves in just a moment. We realise that um, the toolkit will be used by many different types of people and, and some of our speakers have touched on the various users that they envisage uh, uh, using this toolkit, whether it be research individuals, research organisations, funders or societal partners. Um, so we've given uh, users different entry points so they can select to enter the toolkit based on their own particular role or their particular interests. Now we do realise, as I said, that people will come to the toolkit with many different levels of knowledge and expertise um, and they, want, they may uh, want to look for something specific within the toolkit. So as you would expect, there's a search function uh, where you can search on keywords or topics there's a full site map, so you can look at the whole contents and then just dive into the section that you're particularly interested in. And we also have a frequently asked questions section, um, which will give small introductions to uh, key topics in, in answering questions that will then lead on and signpost to more detailed information. So people we know will access websites in different ways, and hopefully this will provide uh, different forms of search strategies. Now, having introduced you to some of the aspirations and intentions of the toolkit, and I've given you a very broad overview of its architecture, um, I've talked about the guided pathways, the different entry points depending on people's roles and interests. Um, what I'm now going to do is to pass on to colleagues within the team um, so that they can draw out a few specific examples for you 
of the many different resource formats that we have. So I'll pass on first of all to my colleague Sybil Studer, who will now speak to this slide. Sybil, come Sorry, on. You're My apologies. Um, yeah, so we compiled this case that is um, based on the need of um, having concrete working materials for teaching, capacity building, and policy dialogue. Um, as we've heard already, inter- and transdisciplinary research is still often happening in niches, and therefore know-how is quite fragmented. And that's why we believe that um, case studies are very important to induce learning and to enhance quality within the community. So the main aims of the case studies in the toolkits um, is to showcase examples of inter- and transdisciplinarity with high involvement of the arts, humanities, and social science. And then also to illustrate preconditions of success so we searched for case studies covering various research fields and different setups, such as projects, institutions, funding initiatives, and research infrastructures. And the main challenge was to find publicly available material for learning purposes. So it is easier to find information on goals and results of inter- and transdisciplinary research than to find concrete illustrations of processes that led to success. So in our case studies, we identified moments of inter- and transdisciplinarity with a high involvement of AHSS, and then we captured how these moments influenced the course of research. So we encourage you to play an active role in collecting and sharing such kind of information. You may think about how um, to add a feature into your procedure um, in funding schemes, for example, to ask grantees to reflect upon success factor so that we can also share such information for capaci capacity building purposes. And as a policymaker, you may want to use the case studies to inform recommendations, as we believe that they have a high potential to incentivize um, inter- and transdisciplinary research with high integration of AHSS and also to showcase its effectiveness. So we hope you find our case study useful and look forward to mutual learning opportunities. Thank you. Thank you, Sybil. I think as academics, we're very good at um, describing our successes. We're not always as good at reflecting on the processes and the things that didn't go wrong. And that's something that we were trying to build, bring out as learning opportunities through these case studies. Um, I'm now going to pass on to uh, Bianca Vieni, uh, and she's going to talk about the, uh, the role that our expert panel played in contributing to the toolkit. Hello, uh, thank you, um, Catherine. In my case, I contributed to the toolkit by gathering expert advice from members of the Shape ID expert panel. As uh, Catherine already mentioned, um, the expert panel from the Shape ID project um, is integrated by 18 uh, experts from different countries, from Europe 
and internationally, including um, senior academic uh, researchers, experts in inter- and transdisciplinary research, representatives from policymaking and funding bodies, research performing organizations, industry and uh, civil society organizations that might be also uh, being with us today. So we interviewed experts and produced two minute uh, short videos focusing mainly on key challenges and practical advice on uh, inter- and transdisciplinary research, aiming basically at getting more insight into inter- and transdisciplinary process to try to capture collective knowledge on key aspects. One of the things that we have distilled from these uh, short interviews is, again, the need for cultural change in higher education to make it more supportive of ID and TD, inter- and transdisciplinarity, as already mentioned by Jane at the beginning of, of this uh, presentation. So, um, these experts mainly suggested two um, ways of coping with this challenge. One is by committing to long-term policy change to publicly uh, recognize the value of inter- and transdisciplinary research, but also to reward those who undertake it. And then also to oversee changes to policies and procedures to improve administrative flexibility and also to remove bureaucratic hurdles to these kinds of collaboration. Thank you. Thank you, Bianca. So quite a challenge to, cha to change some of our cultures. And this, I think, echoes uh, some of uh, Harold Harton's advice that this needs to come from the bottom up as well. Um, our final contributor here is my, my close colleague, Dr. Isabel Fletcher, who's worked with me on uh, developing the toolkit. And uh, she's going to talk about some of the resources that we have specifically written uh, for the, the website. Thanks, Isabel. Thanks. Um, so from the start, we plan this to be, as, as Catherine has said, largely a kind of portal to existing resources. So I didn't expect the process to involve managing the development of new resources, but there seems to be, despite the extensive literature in terms of transdisciplinarity, there seems to be a large unmet demand, practical information on how to do it. So in the course of developing the toolkit, we also developed a series of short, focused, practical resources, some reflective guides, reflective tools, top 10 tips, and guides on specific topics. Um, they're all about a page or two long, and they're kind of, they, they aim to gather our collective wisdom and help improve research processes help improve funding, evaluation, and the support of researchers. They take the form of um, kind of practical tools that are aimed at specific groups of users. So um, those were, as well as researchers, those working for funding agencies, university research managers, those reviewing research. And they're tailored around particular activities and particular stages of research. So the reflective tool for the reviewers of inter- and transdisciplinary research includes a series of about 15 questions for those re reviewing such proposals. So um, things like who was involved in the formulation of the research program, is the proposal anchored in the literature, um, but also more, process questions 
Um, how will communication about, amongst project members be organized? And is there sufficient time for allocated within the project timetable for reflection and reiteration of project aims? Um, so as well as this kind of process of distilling our collective experience, we also wanted these resources to be used to encourage greater participation in inter- and transdisciplinarity. And one of the ways we have done this is by creating a guide to the contributions that arts, humanities, and social sciences can make to um, societal challenge research. Um, so inter- and transdisciplinary research addressing societal challenges or missions. Um, we did this because this is a question we have been asked repeatedly. And so, this, this guide aims to address a particular knowledge gap, maybe not amongst this audience, but it definitely exists, um, about what the arts, humanities and social sciences can contribute to challenge-driven research. And we think this is, information is important because it's a key element of the argument that's been made several times in this event, that arts, humanities and social science researchers need to be involved at the very beginning of such research in developing the funding calls and in setting up the projects. So um, I hope you have a look at the toolkit. I hope you find our um, resources useful. We, we hope they will be widely downloaded and used in a variety of settings, not just by individuals, but in meetings and workshops and in training. And um, now I'm gonna hand back to Cathy, who will talk about a bit about the future of the toolkit. Thank you very much, Isabel. And this is something that we've already touched on, and it's something that came up uh, repeatedly with our expert panel. It was raised many times, this necessity of ensuring the, the longevity and the long-term sustainability of the toolkit beyond the lifetime of this particular grant. So we are actively discussing and exploring um, future ownership issues, options, different options, might include uh, the European Commission itself, whether the toolkit might be adopted by a third party or whether indeed it might become uh, an open access resource. Uh, what we're all very clear about is that uh, having developed this toolkit with legacy in mind, uh, we don't want it to be left an orphan. Um, we've also explored with our expert panel and our user testers other suggestions for further development. Um, we would be particularly keen to see the toolkit being used as a basis of training for inter- and transdisciplinary reviewers and evaluators, perhaps embedded within the resources that the Commission provides to its evaluators. Um, we're very conscious that we could have done so much more with the societal partners section, and we would really like to see that being developed further, um, perhaps in partnership with small, medium-sized enterprises, with citizens groups, um, so that we are not just um, devising this information ourselves, but doing it as actually as a co-production activity. Uh, we, are, we also see opportunities for increased interactivity by building in a community discussion forum, and we'd love to see it expanding beyond the very Anglophone basis that um, Isabel and I bring. I don't know what the Scottish equivalent of Anglophone is. Um, so, how can you help us with this? Um, if you like the toolkit, we hope you're going to promote it and use it. Uh, we would be very grateful for your feedback um, on how the toolkit is actually being used. Is it actually being used in training, for example? Um, we would be very interested to hear your advice on implementation, what needs to happen now in order to secure its long-term future. So, uh, there's a, a 
an email address there on the screen and I know that Duran is now going to share the toolkit link so that you have some time to explore it yourself. So thank you very much and uh, we look forward to having some further discussions with you in the remaining hour. Thank you very much, Catherine. And again, congratulations. It's just lovely. And there's lots of good wishes coming through um, uh, from the from colleagues in, in the room. Uh, so, Duren, I, I, I was going to say now the drum rolls um, and we cut the ribbon or whatever we do when we launch a toolkit. But will you actually are you going to put it on show the screen or you're just going to put it? Actually, I think it'd be a good moment. Duren Wallace has been the project manager on uh, uh, Shape ID, and she has been a phenomenal project manager. Diren, why don't you say a few words about the toolkit from your perspective and uh, uh, share, I don't know, how are you proposing to share it with colleagues now? Thank you, Jane, um, and thanks, Catherine, for that presentation. Um, yeah, I think it would be nice. Like, I mean, I hope we're not going to break it if I'm looking at it and everybody else is looking at it too, but uh, let me share my screen and I will just give a very quick live demo of what we've done. Uh, I was going to say we can see the, uh, an Excel spreadsheet. Now it's coming up. All right. You can see the right thing. You're not seeing my project management spreadsheet. Great. Um, so, yeah, here's, uh, so, so uh, Catherine has already told you what the toolkit is for. Uh, we've developed it into what we hope is a very appealing, user friendly, interactive experience. Um, uh, so, we have a number of kind of introductory videos on the homepage. The main point of access to our resources is uh, through this section here. As Catherine said, we've got guided pathways, which you can navigate by uh, your role or the topic that you want to look into more. We've got a collection of top 10 tips on a range of, uh, a range of issues for different stakeholders, including funding, evaluation, developing a career, working in multi-stakeholder uh, collaborations. We've got the um, selection of case studies that Seville discussed, um, project case studies, but also a number of uh, case studies on funding initiatives and on um, uh, institutional initiatives. Uh, we've got a series of downloadable guides, as we'll discuss these, um, the reflective tools, as well as some topic guides. Uh, and uh, we also even access the toolkit through the FAQ. And you can watch a couple of guided tours that colleagues have prepared to show different stakeholders, researchers, research leaders, and societal partners around the best resources in the toolkit that we would recommend for you. Um, but this, so there's a lot of different ways to explore it. Um, if I just look briefly through the guided pathways, um, this is one of the more interesting spaces, I think. Um, you can see that you can access, uh, if, if you're a researcher, if you represent a research organization or you're a, a, research, um, a research development professional, for example, these resources that would interest you here, maybe uh, funders and policymakers and societal partners. Um, uh, and we've also got this uh, curated selection of uh, different points of access, depending on the topic you're interested in. Um, so, uh, for example, if you were interested in supporting collaborative researchers. I know we had quite a lot of uh, research development professionals registered, um, uh, but this is obviously relevant for, for others too. Um, so we'll find uh, resource highlights um, such as uh, the reflective tool for higher education institutions, um, which can be used for thinking about the kind of supports your institution currently offers and how you might develop those. Um, we have, we're sharing a case uh, study from the Trinity Long Room Pub Arts and Humanities Research Institute, which has been trying to build a culture of interdisciplinarity for uh, for, for 10 years now. So we have uh, gathered kind of lessons and best practice and insights from that journey to share with the others trying to kind of, uh, embark on that journey. Um, and we've developed um, a quick guide for pre-award research managers and administrators who might want to support interim transdisciplinary researchers in, uh, and, and this guide offers 
sort of its own path through the toolkit that focuses on the kind of tasks that we think um, people in these roles might, might want to um, uh, commit to. Um, and, and then we have obviously curated resources, as Catherine has shown you, that gather together a lot of the existing valuable resources um, and, and tries to kind of synthesize what's already out there. It's come from other projects and other institutions and advocacy bodies. Um, and I'll just show you the case studies briefly as well, since we'll discuss those. Um, so we've got, um, again, research project case studies. We've prioritized uh, case studies where the HSS play a leading role. Um, and we hope to build on that um, selection as well. Um, we've got some organization case studies and we've got some funding case studies, particularly um, UK HRC uh, uh, Science and Culture Funding Scheme and the Irish Research Council, which uh, we've, I suppose, got close connections to both of these and they've engaged in particular efforts uh, at a national level to build capacity for inter and transdisciplinary research with the arts and humanities, which is very important and we think is a good example for other national funders to, to follow. Um, well, I could go on, but I think, uh, Jane, maybe uh, will I, anything else or will I pass back over to you to open up this and Maybe if you just leave the link then in the chat and people can play with it, but the toolkit is now freely available on the website. Um, and Darren, in terms of the next steps, obviously if people have comments, just to reiterate what, what Catherine Isle was saying, um, uh, it, obviously if something's not working or we can improve anything or going back to Anna's suggestion about having a guide for mentors, you know, we really welcome this sort of comment and feedback because the project now goes on till October. So while we won't make big changes, we're, I think, very happy, Catherine, I'm looking at you to, to, to make. Um, Anouk uh, from Epicure has a question, and I think it might be very valuable if she asks that herself and an observation. Uh, and, and maybe uh, Anouk, uh, I know that you've been working with Catherine and Isabel in terms of some of the user testing, but are you still in the in the Zoom room with us? And can we make your mic live? And maybe you can you can ask your questions um, uh, uh, directly to Catherine and the team. Are you still with us, Anouk? Maybe not. Well, let me uh, 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 ask the question then on Anouk's behalf. On this, um, I'm here, Jane. Uh, I was just waiting for your team to unmute me. Oh, so sorry. I beg your pardon, Anouk. No oh, worries. It's great that you're with us this afternoon and it's been a pleasure to collaborate with Epicure, but over to you. Thanks very much uh, and great to see you, Jane, Doran and all the team members of Shape Idea. Huge congratulations on your fabulous work. Um, I just wanted to come in here to touch upon the issue that was raised several times during the seminar today, the sustainability of the toolkit and avoiding uh, your deliverables becoming orphans. Well, thanks to our existing collaboration between Epicure and Shape Idea, uh, we have been done, doing some thinking on this, but listening uh, to the talks today, I have tr actually three concrete suggestions to this end. The first being uh, within our Epicure research project, we are currently starting uh, developing what we call an Epi community which will be a virtual community linked to the Epicure virtual campus we already built for our education projects, um, targeting early career researchers working in interdisciplinary um, projects. And the community will be specifically focusing on promoting collaboration in interdisciplinary projects, um, starting with Epicure researchers, but we would like to open it up to wider European participation or maybe global participation. 
and we will also be testing some blended virtual mobility formats there. And I was thinking that a link to the toolkit, because it's also including a pathway on research project collaborations, might be something to explore or just connecting the entire toolkit as a, a guidance to these younger researchers on how to set up these types of collaboration could be something we could look at. Secondly, um, as we are at the start of our project, unlike yourselves, we are currently setting up new research project collaboration between Epicure researchers, again, early career researchers, on interdisciplinary themes that um, if they evolve, we hope that they will end up being what we call epi clusters and include collaboration with non-academic stakeholders. And there, I think the guidance pathway on working together with extramural partners, or I'm, I'm not sure what the, the exact title is, could be really helpful. So we would be very interesting in promoting that also in the workshops we organize in the run-up to the setup of these clusters. And finally, and I was extremely pleased also listening to the contribution of Science Europe, we are currently uh, working on a draft model for modernized researcher assessment frameworks with a view to viable and sustainable uh, career pathways. And this is also a feature included in the toolkit. So perhaps we could explore if we could include an explicit mention in the Epicure framework model. And yesterday we had a, another meeting in the European context, including colleagues from DGRTD and other alliances like Charm EU, and I'm aware that you're also closely connected to them. And there we agreed to work together on this human capital transition module at an alliance to alliance basis with the commission. So perhaps this could also be something where we could plug some of your outcomes and use it in these modernized and hopefully harmonized assessment models. So um, sorry if I'm coming on too strong, but this is just something that popped up in my head while listening to you. So. Um, Oh, it's very helpful. No, okay. thank you, Anouk. And actually, it resonates with Philippa has a question. She's saying, uh, do you plan to keep the toolkit as a live, constantly updated resource? Well, the answer is until October, that, but that's the problem. And that's where having collaborations like the one with Epicur or I know Gabby, if she's Iash, or, you know, all of these collaborations are so important. But Catherine, as the mother of the toolkit, I don't know, have you any views about the sort of, uh, you know, keep the image of the, here's your child, you don't want it to be an orphan, but how do you want it to grow up to be, uh, you know, as it enters childhood and teenagehood? I'm not sure I, I like this imagery of being the mother no, of the okay. It was a team effort, <laughs> but I take the point. Um, I was fascinated actually to hear some of the earlier contributions around uh, research culture. Uh, it was something that our speaker from Science Europe spoke about. I think also uh, Carthage from uh, OECD talked about uh, the precarity of our current research system. Uh, this seems to be very much a, a discussion that's happening certainly within the UK at the moment. And, and I think this, this, very, this very issue points to one of these issues around research culture that we, as researchers, we work in, a, in an ecosystem where uh, we are constantly chasing the next grant, uh, where each grant produces wonderful outputs 
but then they disappear and they don't have the longevity and the sustainability. Um, so I think we've got some great concrete suggestions from Anouk. Um, Anouk's team uh, have already made some really wonderful contributions to the toolkit in terms of the, uh, the user feedback at an earlier testing stage. Um, but I also think that this is something that our funders need to take on board. Um, all of our national and international funders is how we retain this learning, how we build and consolidate on this learning. Um, because I said earlier, you know, uh, amongst our team, we've been, we've been doing this for many decades. So there's a, there is a real body of knowledge here. Uh, and let's not silo it into individual grants and project outputs. Let's think about how we bring this together, as, as Anouk said, in, in these communities so that we have it available for the longer term. So yeah, lots of, lots of things for us to be thinking about between now and the end of the grant as to how we how we um, don't leave this project as an orphan. Thanks, Jane. Well, well actually, Doris Alexander has joined us, and, and, and if we can make Doris's mic live, because we have Epicure, but Doris was, this image, it was very key in, in making charm happen. Um, but Doris, you've also got suggestions about what we might do in terms of sustaining Shape ID. Uh, Doris, um, are you still with us? Can we yes, yes, I am. So uh, actually, when I was looking at Anouk then, I said, I recognise that name because I was at the same meeting yesterday. So, I mean, what, what the European Commission is very much trying to do at the moment is to develop um, a strategy for higher education institutes by looking at transformational modules. And the European universities, including Epicure, including CharmEU, are really piloting some of that work now. And that's why you can see a lot of their focus is using that interdisciplinary um, aspect, which is so important to trying to address uh, global challenges. But I've just received the background document for their next meeting. And in it, they start referring to um, how universities can help to deal with um, the twin transition of digital and green and the importance of interdisciplinarity. And in fact, the question asked in that background paper is, what can the Commission do to encourage interdisciplinarity and transdisciplinarity? So CharmEU um, is, is one of the, is a member of 4EU, which is a network of the first 17 uh, alliances, including Epicure. And we're all trying to put together uh, modules and look at what the university can do. So the one that CharmEU is actually focused on is the sustainable university, how we can contribute to the Green Deal in terms of research, education, how the campus itself uh, moves forward. And of course, there is included in that already this concept of the importance of interdisciplinarity and transdisciplinarity. And I'm just now actually literally writing in the importance of building on and consolidating knowledge that has already been funded by the European Commission through projects like Shape ID. Why are we going to try to reinvent something that has already produced something? Surely we should be trying to put that into action and encourage universities to pilot and test your, your toolkit. Thank you very much, Doris. And we should have said that, of course, Shape ID came out of a cost, well, partly out of a cost action that you and, and Catherine and I think Christian were uh, involved with. Yes. Um, and Bianca. So I think this is, I mean, I, I hope our Commission colleagues are still with us because, you know, we need to give credit to them for this continuity of funding, which has enabled this work to develop over quite a period of time. Yeah, yeah. Great. That's great. Thank you very much. I'm conscious that um, Bianca had mentioned members of the expert advisory uh, panel for Shape ID, who really were fantastic. There are a couple of them in the Zoom room. Um, uh, they don't 
maybe I hope they're still with us, but Michael O'Rourke is based in the US and it might be Michael, I don't know if you don't mind commenting and putting you on the spot here, and Alice in the Netherlands, Alex uh, uh, Dijkstra, again, if you're still with us, Alice, but I don't know if either of you, can we go to Michael first, want to just comment on your experience uh, uh, of interdisciplinarity and the toolkit and, and this journey. Obviously, we're on in a European context, but but of course, it's it's a global um, a journey too. So first to Michael, if you're still with us, Michael. I am. Great. Well, yes. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, no, no, I appreciate the opportunity to, to weigh in here. I uh, thank you, first of all, for uh, um, organizing a launch meeting like this. I think that's really an exciting way to deliver the, the toolkit formally into the world. That's, uh, um, and congratulations. I think that it's a, a remarkable uh, achievement and one that I think should have a significant impact on the lives of those of us who do interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary work. Um, I, you know, I, one of the things that, that, um, I, that I thought that's been kind of uh, rolling around in my mind um, has to do with uh, the the value of toolkits like this. Um, you know, I think um, there there are other toolkits, and there are other other um, uh, kind of repositories for information, resources, tools, and so forth. But I think um, one of the things that's valuable about new toolkits um, is the amount of work that goes into like mapping the space that we occupy as researchers and um, you know, thinking about the, the, the organizational structure, the architecture really of the toolkit. So you know, that I, I, I think there's a worry in, in, in some quarters maybe that, that we're reinventing wheels by, by creating new toolkits, but I don't, I don't see it that way. I, I, you, know, you, don't, you don't just get up in the morning and create a toolkit before lunch. <laughs> Right. I mean, something like this takes lots and lots of time and lots and lots of people really to to create. And um, so what this reflects is a, a certain way of of thinking about and and conceptualizing the the space of cross disciplinary research and practice more generally. And I think that, you know, as a so each toolkit's going to provide a different perspective, a different angle on on that. And so, I, in my um, in my opinion, one in addition to just the the actual resources that are there that <clears throat> could help us address problems or solve you know address problems and issues that come up in our daily lives as professionals, I think it's it's also um, valuable as a way of of providing us with. Uh, um, new understanding of of the the kind of work that we do. So I I, I mean I you know y your team is like a, a kind of all star team when it comes to interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary practice. <laughs> so it's that's that makes this toolkit even more exciting because you have so many um, high profile uh, you know, like extraordinarily like internationally insightful people involved in in developing the toolkit. I I'm um, I'm really excited to spend more time with it. Um, and I, I, I already know that I'm gonna be integrating it into my, um, the mentoring work that I do with graduate students and early career scholars. It'll become a, a definitely a go-to site for, for me. Um, congratulations, I, I'm, I'm uh, really excited to see this, uh, to see what impact this has on, on um, 
cross-disciplinary research and practice. Thank you very much, Michael. And it's great to hear that you'll use it because that for us is again, the other key, is it being used in universities by researchers um, and embedding it? Can, so you see a value for it in a North American context as well, which I think it's very important. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, you've, you've done a very nice job of pulling together resources from the from North America, right? So that they're represented in the, in the um, uh, what you've curated uh, and made available through through the toolkit. Um, but I also think that there's there's an increasing uh, kind of level of interest and um, kind of commitment on the part of North American transdisciplinary, you know, cross-disciplinary researchers to learn from our European and our international colleagues and to kind of think, um, you know, take advantage of the the wealth of experience you you have in in doing this kind of work. So I, I feel like that's. You know, like so many other things, that this this kind of uh, uh, practice is becoming more global, and uh, so yeah, I, I I don't I don't think that there will be any um, obstacle in the way of um, you know em employment of the toolkit by North American scholars. Well, that's fantastic, Michael. I'm um, I'm really keen. Advisory board in the Zoom room. I don't know, uh, Gab. Uh, if, if either of you want to get in here, you may not wish to, but um, I'm, I'm very conscious that both of you have been very supportive of, of it. Um, why don't we, Alice, do you have anything? Do we want to make you live if you're still with us? We did, We haven't pre-arranged any of this, so it's, it, it really is spontaneous. Uh, what about, is Gabby still with us? Yeah, Gabby, it looks like you talking's permitted. Please go ahead, Gabby. Gabby? Oh, well, maybe not. Okay, well, sorry, this isn't working the way it was intended, but I suppose what I wanted to do was just create an opportunity for members of our uh, uh, external panel, uh, uh, to our external advisory board to comment and reflect because actually they're seeing the toolkit for the first time in its final form. There's one other external person that I just like to draw into the conversation again, um, putting her on the spot. It's Mary Doyle. Mary Doyle actually was a former very senior figure in the Irish government um, and is very keen on seeing the relationship in, in other words the arts and humanities actually inform government policy and uh, obviously interdisciplinarity is, is part of that. Mary are you able to reflect or uh, offer any insights or response to the toolkit? I, I see again we've given you a mic I just don't know if you're there or you'd like to contribute. No. We're not doing very well here. Sorry, folks. Okay, well, then what we're going to do now is actually turn to the Shape ID team, who I know is in the room and uh, uh, who are all uh, uh, hopefully teed up to, to contribute. And I actually would like to start with Christian, uh, if that's all right, Christian, because in terms of those voices and experience uh, that Michael was referring to a moment ago, you have, I mean, you've been doing this, this is part of your uh, uh, lifeblood uh, as an academic. In terms of this uh, project, are you happy with how it's gone? Um, what are your senses of what we should have done more of? Less this moment to just reflect 
uh, on the project. Um, obviously, we want to rest on our laurels at one level because we're so delighted to have got to this point. But if you I suppose it's future opportunities for the next steps uh, and where we should go with it. Comes a bit as a surprise. <laughs> I think, can I say a few words about the toolkit? Of course, <clears throat> say what you want, Christian. What Michael, uh, adding what Michael said. I think the toolkit is really, I looked at it a bit in more in details and I think it's really special um, because it collects really a number of things that I have not seen collected in other toolkits. So I know our toolbox, which is like specific tools for co-producing knowledge. Then I know the Michael's toolkit that is exploring a way of how we can better organize um, interdisciplinary um, communication or something like that, the understanding of each other. I know the one of Gabriel Bummer in Australia, which is a huge resource um, of where you can find conferences, communities, tools, I don't know, thousands of things. And I think the the one that uh, we or or you <laughs> constructed is really um, cool because it brings these different tips, tools, uh, papers together in the, in these uh, four categories of whoever is looking at it. So I think that's really special and really cool, and I think that makes a big progress. So if and I, then the next question was, what could we have done better in our research? <laughs> I think we, we did one mistake that we um, that we basically commented in one of our policy briefs. <laughs> I think in the beginning we did not, and I think that's so key for internal transdisciplinary research, we did not allocate enough time to working together basically, and to have meetings online or, or, or in place or to have, people spending weeks or months in other groups. So I I, we were quite good, but I think if we would have had more money to do so and to travel around and to connect two or three of our members for months to, to sit together and talk, I'm not sure whether we could have been better because we are so good, but perhaps <laughs> a little better. So I think if you ask me for a critique, I think that's one of the things that we recommend in the policy brief that we somehow did not do ourselves. It's hard to find things that were not so good, but I think that is one. You're, you're muted. It's this moment for reflection and to think about the value of the toolkit and also how we'd like it to be used. So I don't know if anybody else from the team, maybe Maciek, do you want to comment a little bit on, um, from your perspective, the value of the toolkit and how you hope it's going to be used? Uh, yeah, thanks. So um, I can also like start with the general comments that um, through our work, when we worked on the interdisciplinarity, we kind of um, realized in, in one in that one of the uh, the factors in in successful collaboration, and I'm speaking from the perspective of digital humanities right now, is to uh, to find a means of kind of translating knowledge between communities or basically so there are some obvious things in some communities which are not so obvious in the others and how to um, to bring this knowledge through. So that was one of the, uh, I think, key um, aspects, at least uh, in the field we were dealing with. Uh, and I think it's kind of reflected in also what we did in in the toolkits, uh, because uh, 
there are many um, uh, uh, outputs um, dedicated to basically familiarizing um, researchers and um, institutions with uh, with the current, for instance, offering of research infrastructures. So we put some stress on this to explain uh, what is uh, Daria, Clarin, what is Operas, how do they work, um, what is open science, how you can take advantage of it. So so basically just to, to show um, to explain certain things and then of course to 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 give uh, um, to provide further resources for for people to explore it further but just to start to have this first contact to start with uh, something so I think this is the uh, this is how I think and wish uh, that uh, and hope it will be used thank you Thank you very, very much. Um, that's that's fantastic. Can I ask the same question maybe to Georgia coming from Isanova um, in terms of from your perspective, obviously Isanova is an SME rather than a, an academy or a, um, a, a university. How do you hope the toolkit will be used from, from your perspective? Well, I think uh, I found, uh, at least from my perspective as a young researcher and um, um, as a worker in a research institution, even if not uh, a proper academic, uh, um, the I found the toolkit really comprehensive. I mean, we collect uh, a very broad uh, uh, um, continents and, and material, also our path of investigation of inter-transdisciplinarity uh, um, really uh, cover different uh, aspect uh, different methodology and uh, um, and this uh, is reflected into the toolkit because uh, um, there is a there is a very good good material very useful especially now then um, as um, as our colleague from uh, from the european commission underlined the new the new funding program, uh, the new project will be really focused on uh, inter and uh, transdisciplinarity, and it is very important to to cope with uh, great societal challenge. And uh, and this kind of toolkit, I also find very useful uh, the, the the guidelines than uh, than we drafted, and you you can find uh, into our website uh, um, are really are really useful to. Uh, to put in, in the centers uh, uh, art, uh, humanity, and such as science, uh, because if we start from that perspective, uh, uh, it, it, it's a very groundbreaking uh, uh, approach, uh, and we really need to to investigate how to do it. And uh, and I think our uh, our toolkit is very is very useful for this goal. Thank you very much, Georgia. Um, and uh, uh, I was going to say, Jack, I think you've been another key member of the team. You did the interviews and you're very committed to the transdisciplinary space as well as the interface between interdisciplinarity and, and policy and TDR and policy. I suppose from your perspective, um, you know, what does success for the toolkit look like and how do you hope uh, that, uh, uh, you know, what, what is it going to grow up to uh, in your eyes? Uh, thank you, Jane. Uh, obviously, I'm very proud of, of all the colleagues who um, developed the, the toolkit, and I think it's a wonderful, very comprehensive uh, thing. Um, if I look at the, the future of the toolkit, there are two things that um, I think need maybe some, some more filling or some more improvement. One goes back to uh, something Harold said in the beginning, and 
and also what Jane said about the use of the acronym uh, Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences. Um, I remember from the fourth monitoring uh, report that integration is, is slowly improving of Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences, but mainly in a few uh, social sciences disciplines and much less in humanities and, and certainly in arts. And I think if we use the uh, acronym Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences, um, we really need to do justice to uh, the humanities and, and also the arts, because uh, if we find it important, it should also show in the, in the toolkit. So I would, I would ask uh, people in the audience who have experience in, in especially the arts, but maybe also in the humanities, uh, to come up with, with examples or questions that, that we could uh, somehow integrate in, in the toolkit. And the other thing, obviously, is uh, from my perspective, is the, the involvement, further involvement of uh, stakeholders and, and societal partners, because I think uh, it is probably the most challenging thing. But if you really want to take uh, transdisciplinary research seriously, uh, you gotta you gotta do it together. Collaboration with uh, people outside of academia is is really essential to to face uh, a lot of the challenges we we see in society now. Uh, the obvious uh, reference now is the whole COVID uh, uh, program. I'm involved in an ac academy uh, program in the Netherlands that is um, called post-pandemic preparedness program, and it it's something that is also developed in a number of other countries. And we see that it is really essential if you want to uh, serve society with, uh, fr from the science perspective, you need to uh, collaborate between uh, disciplines. So not only look at that from a, a health or medical or biomedical perspective, but you need to involve the social sciences and the humanities. Uh, so I think it's really important that we that we uh, uh, work on on collaboration between these fields and also with uh, partners in society, because the the stakes are really high in in a lot of these areas. Again, I, I you know I think we all agree here, Jack. Um, uh, Tobias uh, from the Norwegian um, Research Council is is has asked a question to be as listen we're going to try and make you live if, if if that's all right because it would be lovely to have your perspective especially um coming from a national agency but you were so involved in the commission in the ahss um integration report that was published a few years ago and and we really would like your you know again take on all of this uh, and uh, how it's a value from your perspective, uh, looking at it from an, a national perspective. Uh, can you speak to that, Tobias? Are you with us? Yes, Jane, can you hear me? We can, thank goodness somebody's there. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jane. It's been great to, to hear you today and uh, congratulations on this uh, important step. Uh, of course, uh, we've done some collaboration before and. Uh, it's it's very nice to see for me and I worked you know closely with Harald and his group on SSH integration as a national expert. Uh, so this is really fascinating and I popped a question in the in the chat actually now about the era 
context. So the importance of doing the same in the European Commission, in Horizon Europe, in national programs, in regional programs, uh, just like other aspects of the European research area. I think this is really crucial. And I see it also in the Research Council of Norway, where we are um, you know, changing a little bit our structure, focusing on 15 thematic portfolios, uh, where a lot of disciplines and sectors really have to collaborate in a much wider degree than they used to before. Uh, so this is, as you say, a very long-term commitment, but uh, those five or 10% of funding that the European Commission has on the European level is, is important enough as it is, but if we don't get all the regions and countries uh, along on this SSH integration, an ASSH, uh, that's really a success factor, I think. So that's a short comment for me, but I look forward to the future collaboration with you as a network. Thank you. Oh, we all do. Uh, does anybody want to respond from the uh, Shape ID team to, 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 to that call? I suppose we just simply would want to agree and encourage, you know, obviously not just the Norwegian Research Council, but, but all research councils to, to do that. And again, uh, it, it's the sense of reciprocity and putting the AHSS as just to pick up on what Ludwig said at the center at core it's not tokenistic it's not the tail wagging the dog it's actually part of the dog Catherine will we come back to you as we begin to wrap things up for any sort of final reflections hopes I'll, I'll do I'll do two things Jane I'll answer Claudia's question specifically but also then follow up on on this point uh from Tobias um, Claudia is asking about, uh, as, a, as an early career researcher in the STEM field, how, how might uh, one go about working with the arts? Um, a couple of specific suggestions, Claudia. Um, uh, the downloadable guide that we produced that Isabel talked about gives a various uh, indications of how the arts and humanities subjects can contribute uh, in a STEM context. I'd certainly start with that. I'd also recommend the... Um, the work that the Wellcome Trust has done within the UK, um, they have done a lot of work uh, bridging between STEM and the creative arts. So I suggest that you go in through the Societal Partners portal on the website and you'll find some specific guides and information there, which I hope you'll find of use. Um, I also just wanted to pick up on Tobias's comment here uh, in connection with the ERA. Um, and it, it really picks up one of the recommendations that we've made in our most recent policy brief. And that's the fact that the Commission can't do this all on its own, that it needs to do so in partnership with, uh, with national funders as well. Um, many of the recommendations that we've talked about today uh, reflect on how we change our culture, how we support early career researchers right through their career trajectory. Uh, and so much of that responsibility lies with our national funders um, in order to then build the capacity uh, and the, the resources and the workforce of the future who can then participate in the European calls, although sadly perhaps not those of us from the UK perspective <laughs> to quite the same extent. Um, but I think this partnership between the, the, the national and the supranational bodies is, is vital if we're going to make progress in this field. Um, I think that was my final thought on this, Jane. Thanks very much. Well, that's fantastic. Um, there's some great, I mean, comments in the uh, uh, chat function about the value of the toolkit. And I love, there's a lovely one there from Gianna saying, you know, she's early in her career and that the timing is great. And thank you for sharing that. Also, thank you, Alice. 
great to know the NWO is going to, in a sense, put it out there because this will really help us get the toolkit embedded. Uh, and again, just really keen to get feedback and uh, uh, support. Um, I'm not really seeing any other questions in the um, in the uh, uh, chat function or the Q&A. So we might want to begin to wrap things up a little bit. Darren, any final comments from you as our wonderful project manager? Anything, any parting things you'd like to say just before we wrap things up? Well, I'd just like to congratulate uh, congratulate the whole team on uh, a stellar effort to bring this tool toolkit together. Everybody's contributed so much um, and it's truly a collaborative effort. Uh, and I'd like to encourage our audience to think about how you can use the toolkit, um, how you can embed it in your institution or your, your organization's practice. And we'd be happy to talk to anybody further about our recommendations for that or how we can support those efforts. Um, thank you very much from my point of view. Well, that's great, Darren. In terms of, uh, obviously, the whole team is happy to come and meet um, either you as the project manager or we're, we've been doing it. I know Catherine has been talking to some of the funding agencies. I have too. We're very happy to do briefings, very happy to present the toolkit to networks. So um, people should contact you if they would like further information beyond what's on the website. And uh, we would really invite people to do that, encourage colleagues to do that, uh, because for us, really knowing that people are using it is probably the most heartening thing of all. So we just maybe wrap things up. I just would like to do so with a, a few uh, thank yous, because as people have said on many occasions over the course of the afternoon, it really takes a village to um, produce something like this. And it has been an absolute privilege to work with uh, uh, colleagues uh, on the Shape ID uh, uh, team. I mean, it, we've worked together now for two and a half years and it's been just a tremendously enriching and, and a genuinely interdisciplinary and collaborative experience. So just to thank all of the partners and then to uh, thank Darren for being such a tremendous um, project manager. And uh, But there's a wider team out there who's made today possible. Uh, uh, Declan, uh, uh, Francesca, Aoife, Katrina, uh, and the colleagues in the Trinity Long Room Hub. Quiva, I think, is busy tweeting. It was great to see that we were trending, trending in Ireland. So, I mean, hey, uh, hopefully we're trending elsewhere in Europe as well. But it's always fun when you do trends. So that's great. Keep on tweeting, everybody. But if you know, obviously, thank the whole team for making today possible. But as I say, it's been a, a very, very, in, in, I mean, inspiring uh, uh, project. I'd like to thank you, the audience, for coming and staying with us. Um, it's uh, been uh, terrific. Thank you for your questions, your interventions, but above all, your support, your goodwill, your willingness to become ambassadors for the project. Because where you can really help us, apart from disseminating is with this helping with the sustainability because the truth is that we don't have a plan uh, for the uh, toolkit beyond October. We are going to have to find a way of sustaining it beyond October and this is where the Commission itself and again Harold's support is fantastic as it has been from other colleagues in the Commission and hopefully it's the beginning of a conversation about how we can sustain it, update it, develop it, especially the transdisciplinary um, element that Jack was referring to. Um, and then I just want to thank our speakers today. I mean, the expert panel, some of them have had to drop off. It's a long afternoon for everybody. But beginning with Harold, and then of course, uh, uh, Carthage, uh, Lydia, uh, Ludwig and Anna, we really, really appreciated your engagement with the
toolkit, your insights and your support for the project. I mean, it, it means a huge amount uh, to us. But many others in the room today were part of um, our journey, our expert advisory panel. Many of you have been here, um, as have others who've participated in uh, our surveys, uh, our webinars. And uh, all of this information is available on the Shape ID uh, website as is the toolkit. So please go to the website, play with the toolkit, enjoy the toolkit, and maybe we can though close by simply congratulating uh, the team on producing such an amazing, I mean, it really is a fabulous resource, something we're all hugely uh, proud of. Uh, so, you know, I don't know, it's, it's very frustrating at moments like this, you want to uh, uh, give everybody a huge round of applause, but, but let's do that. Uh, and uh, uh, thank you all for coming this afternoon. And we look forward to continuing the conversations because the importance of interdisciplinarity and transdisciplinarity is just going to become increasingly important. So on that note, uh, uh, goodbye everybody and thank you very much. The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book and print cultures, stamping provenance Languages towards the history of the Time of Year Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the community created by Coral The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Here's to the next 10 years.